So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. All right, y'all, this is going to be a long one. You ready? <laughs> and I'm talking about the introduction. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, let's see how good I am at winging this. You got it. Here All we right. go. All right, so uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove Supreme, and we're with Sugar Steve, Laia, and Unpaid Bill. Yeah. Fontigolo, I got to pour out some uh, wheatgrass for, for the brothers who ain't here. Out. At the picnic. Yeah. So I just want to tell you guys alone, you know, my my distinguished QLS co-stars that I'm offering in advance a, a, a full apology because, you know, we already we already know that I, I'm, I'm cuckoo for anything uh, purple related. But unlike uh, our distinguished guest today, I'm throwing all of my cool out the window. Yeah. Uh, all my professionalism and whatever so-called journalistic integrity I had is is gone. <laughs> I'm going full Chris Farley, Paul McCartney, SNL yeah. interview mode right now. Yes! Um, <laughs> you guys aren't encouraged. You're encouraging me. Trust cool. me. This Sorry. is going to be bad. Um, and I'm, I'm all, let, let me also preface by asking my guest to forgive me for all my levels of nerdum for this particular episode. Our guest today is probably the last plank of the original uh, Purple Squad or Army to whom I have not revealed my true geekdom. I've exhausted my <laughs> I've exhausted my batteries on, name them, Jimmy, Sheila, Apples, Jill, Mark, Wendy, Lisa, Susanna, Allen, James Shoup, Bobby, Jesse, Terry, even Brenda, Susan, and I, like St. Paul. I've exhausted my batteries asking dumbass questions to every member of that squad, except for our guest today. And <laughs> that's on purpose. It's on purpose because uh, I knew there was going to be a day in which we would get him as a guest on our esteemed uh, Webby winning podcast. Let's let's do that for ourselves. All right. Um, and so, okay, that was the that was the preface. So here's the actual introduction. Oh shit! <laughs> Yo, man, you only get this one moment once. Word. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I, I was as I was prepping notes earlier, and notes it's like a, a small post it. Um, as I was <laughs> prepping notes. I realized that um, 
almost in every case of history, like once you reach that 20-year mark, uh, revisionist license sort of kicks in. So that said, I'll say right here that our guest is probably my gateway drug to the Purple Kingdom. Mm. And I'm just saying that because I remember when Prince's debut uh, was on the radio back in 78, when Soft and White debuted on the radio. It was only because I remembered it because it was literally two minutes after my dad had to break the news to my mother that my grandfather just died. So for the longest, my Prince Association was that song I was listening to while my mom was sobbing on the kitchen floor, you know, crying to death. And so for the next four to five years, Prince was more of a fixture on like my sister's girlfriend's bedroom walls and all that high school ride on magazine stuff. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I ducked some joints as a kid, but, you know, I was kind of team Jackson. And then shout out to uh, my friend in sixth grade, Reginald Cheeves, who uh, told me that his older brother told him that our guest today and Prince were down with each other. And then he pulls out a radio, one of those uh, realistic uh, Radio Shack cheap things. And he transforms my life by playing me the entire 10 minute version of Cool. <laughs> and instantly, as as a sixth grader, I was obsessed. I mean, records were five ninety nine back then. So, I mean, I broke the piggy bank, purchased the album, yeah. and you know, I turned the album down on the bad parts. Whatever, my parents were like super Christian. But the next thing I knew, me and my entire sixth grade squad, for the first time in our lives, had brand new heroes to look up to who were not born in Gary, Indiana. So that entire summer, like all of our Jordash, Sergio Valente begging, all that went out the window. And thanks to my science teacher who thought that the time guys looked like the second coming of like Louis Jordan and the Timpani Five, he told us, well, if you guys want to dress like those guys, you got to go to the five in time. So, you know, I've been avoiding going to the Goodwill all of my life. No one wants to go to the Goodwill Salvation Army. Uh, but now me and my whole crew are privy to a secret the world doesn't know about, which is basically you can cop a pair of baggies for five bucks, look sharp as hell, pull all the joints in sixth grade. Shout out to Monaco Jordan, looks <laughs> just as just as awesome now as fifty <laughs> as she did when she was ten. But basically, oh, our parents dear. are related because now we're buying all these cheap suits, looking good, and they don't have to spend the money. So yes, only because of our guests, our guests gave Prince the green light, not the opposite in my world. That I gave Prince the green light in 82 and then caught up afterwards. So, you know, because Prince fans want to swear that they were all down since the beginning. And no, make no mistake, if it wasn't for Mars E-Day, my entire music direction probably would have went to either, I don't know, Luther Mandros or Lilo Thomas. I don't know. God is here with us, ladies and gentlemen. Please give it up for Mars E-Day. This is probably the longest introduction I've ever done. I was going to say, show. that was like a... The show's over now. Right? <laughs> Sorry. You gotta, wow. you gotta do the disclaimer. This is the first right now, but it's right. okay. Yeah, you know. I mean yeah. when I really love a guest, I'll I'll geek out. So uh thank you. I can't even thank you enough. I have a gazillion questions. Actually, I want to jump ahead to a question I've been dying, dying, dying to know. So every interview that I've heard you recall your story. Of course, you get to the part where you realize that Prince is about to choose Bobby Z as a drummer and not you, uh, clearly the more skilled drummer. And, you know, most Prince fans and most QLS listeners know 
kind of know what time it is, whatever. So we kind of dig the reason why Prince did the the band outfit the way he did sort of after Sly and the Family Stone. But what I want to know is, in light of everything that's happened for you, if you were able to have a time machine, and mm. this is not even a, you know, to bring Prince back alive thing, but if you were able to get back in a time machine and go back to 1980, and you knew there was a chance for you to get in the revolution as a drummer instead of the path you're on right now, what 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 path are you choosing? Are you choosing to still be his drummer or your career? Well, first of all, brother Quest, I want to thank you for that 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 uh grand intro, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, man. You know, uh I almost forgot that I was the guest. I was just like digging <laughs> I yeah. forgot I was the host. <laughs> <laughs> like how many pages? Wow. <laughs> you know, but but um that's an interesting question. I like that question because in the moment back then, I definitely would have chose to be a, the drummer because I was all about drumming. And that was my life, you know, my security blanket. And that's what I did every day. That's what I skipped school to do. That's what I aspired to do. But um, looking back now, you know, hindsight, um, you know, I'm glad that um, I was kind of pushed, if you will, into mm-hmm. the position that I'm in, because, you know, I found a, a, another aspect of, of my um, abilities that, that I didn't really know about. Mm. Okay. Because I, I still feel like, and I try to think of the logic, I'm like, wait a minute, you were given, you were either given a choice to be, like, for my, my, my personal position, like, my dad wanted the opposite for me. My dad wanted me to be a session drummer, because... You know, and in my mind, I'm like, no, I want a career. Like, I don't, I don't want to drum for Anita Baker. Like, I want to be the the guy that owns the 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 stadium that she plays in. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought that. So for me, I would, I would just read when you would say like, ah, oh, man, he didn't choose me as his drummer, and I'm like, yeah, but you got something better. But then I thought about it. Maybe playing with Prince as a musician is fun, and perhaps. In him, you found someone that's like a, a level of musicianship that you respected. And, you know, it wasn't about being lucrative or, or having more money or whatever. It was about like, oh, this this is where my joy really is. And so well, I always wondered that. Well, the thing is, it, it wasn't a choice like that. And I never thought that drumming for Prince would be fun because he was probably mm-hmm. one of the uh, worst. Uh, Tashmaskers. Yeah, if you will, you know, that that you could work under. So it wasn't about that. But at that point, I never really considered being a lead singer. I was a drummer. And so that's all I knew. And I wanted to play drums. And I'm thinking, you know, my man's got this deal, man. He's like Warner Brothers. He's about to hit the big stage. I want to be a part of that. And that was, you know, all that I was thinking about at that moment. Okay. Okay. I see. So you you didn't think like, oh, this guy's going to be so prolific that he's going to need other outlets and channels to express himself. And so I could be that outlet or something. You just... Absolutely. Yeah, no, the time didn't exist in, in that moment. So I get it. You know, that, came, that came about later. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very glad that it did because, you know, I found something that I can do even better than drumming. So, you know, uh, it, it all worked out. Can I ask, when and where did he hear your voice to think that you needed to make another decision? You know, we were in a, a, I was in Prince's group, uh, Grand Central back in the day when we were like 
teenagers. And, you know, I would sing a couple of songs from the drums and even, I would even come out in front and our percussionist at the time uh, would, would go back, play drums. I'd come out and sing. So he knew that I could sing, uh, but he didn't know about the front man, you know, but he did. He's the one responsible. You know, we tried when we were putting the time together, we tried Alexander O'Neill. We tried a handful of other singers and it just didn't work out. And so, you know, Prince was like, uh, well, why don't you do it? And, you know, I had to like stop and think about that. I was like, uh, because I'm going to be the drummer in the band. He said, no, you need to be the singer. Mm. I said, I don't know how to lead a band. He said, put your hand in your pocket and be cool. And I said, I can do that. <laughs> That's good advice. That's awesome advice. It's, all right. So it's, it's, it's funny you say that because, um, I'm I'm actually working on I'm working on a, a book right now. There's a part, there's a chapter where I actually kind of explore the idea of what black cool is. Uh, Alice Walker's daughter, Rebecca Walker, she does this uh, she does this essay about a woman on the New York subway, and this black woman gets on. She's like gorgeous. She sits down. And Alice Walker immediately knew that her number one weapon was the way that she ignored people. So like this drop dead gorgeous walks on the train. She sits and immediately Alice Walker notices like five guys like kind of oogling her. But the more that she ignores them, the more that they want her. And it's almost like she said that that's the story of Black Cool where, mm. you know, normally we're taught to 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 please and placate you know, Motown's thing was like, you know, go to charm school, you know, wear the right thing, da 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 da, or, you know, minstrelsy era entertainment where you got to sort of shuck and jive your way into people's hearts and disarm them. Yeah. Whereas cool is where you're holding everything back, which leaves mystery and then makes people want to know you more, like that sort of thing. It's, it's so weird now seeing her, her breakdown of what cool means and now kind of revisiting what the time represented because mm -hmm. you know i guess for people that weren't around at that period like you you guys to me were kind of what nwa thought they were and i, I don't mean and just in terms of you know nwa arrived like the most dangerous group of all right. time like that sort of rebellious thing. but the thing is is that they overdid it so it became cartoony and then entertainment whereas the time was like deadpan serious, like De Niro, like you don't know if they're serious or not. You don't, it's like hide your daughters, like that sort of thing. So, I mean, there was, I've never seen a black group not so eager to please or <laughs> sort of like unbothered, like, you know, we could take it or leave you. Like, that's how it looked to me when I was seeing you guys when, as a kid, like, oh, these guys don't care. Like, which you just never seen that before in a black group because most black groups like were eager, you know, happy to do that. Was that the plan, Morris? Like, was that the plan? Y'all already knew what your cool was going to be and it was no going back and forth as to what we're doing and what we're going to look like and how we're going to rap? Well, you know, there was an evolution of cool. Okay. And, and quite like Quest was saying, in, in the very beginning, it was a very laid back cool where people had to invite themselves into the room with us. But, you know, I think, you know, as it evolved, you know, it, it, it became more of an extrovert type of cool and, you know, it was, it was just, um, it was an evolution, but um, yeah, it, we definitely, you know, back in the early days had that, 
mystique. It's like, you know, uh, when we did, when I did do my laugh or whatever, you know, it's like, is, is, is he laughing? What, 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 you know, hmm. what's he laughing about? You know, what does, what time is it mean? You know, what is all this about? So, you know, we kind of had people guessing, you know, wanting, mm-hmm. yeah. Wanting to be in on the joke. Yeah. yeah it made yeah, you want right. to be down with them that way. Yeah, be cool. Uh, Morris, what was your, what was your first musical memory? Um, it went way back, you know, um, because I, I kind of just came into the world with the notion that, um, I was going to be involved with music, um, you know, born in 56, you know, and, um, I can remember listening to the Beatles on our little AM radio that we had. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then later remember doing you know the james brown running around my you know the house in the projects and fruit of the looms on doing the splits trying to do james brown and all that and then 64 comes around (laughs) we were one of the first you know let you know how what priorities were back then but we had one of the first color tvs in the projects back then i was watching bandstand man and i'm watching uh, the Supremes, the Four Tops, you know, all these Motown acts on on bandstand. And I was like, that's what I want to do, you know. So those were my early memories, you know, of music. But I just it was just in my blood. OK. And what was it about the drums that how did you come to be a drummer? And were there any other instruments that you played? Yeah, I went through them all. You know, I went through uh, I wanted to play drums first and foremost. But, um, you know, you probably know in school, everybody takes drums first. So the drums were never available, you know, and I was always late to to register for what I wanted to play. So, um, you know, uh, I I played the saxophone. I got pretty good at that. Um, That was the first time I got uh, invited to be in a band, but I didn't want to play saxophone in a band. So I passed on that. Um, then I went to the bass. The only bass they had was the upright bass. I said, well, I'm not lugging this home <laughs> to practice. So, um, you know, um, I, I played a few different instruments, but the drums just stood out, you know. And so I beat on my mom's couch and pots and pans until she finally caved in and bought me my first drum set. And, you know, it was that was just uh, really love at, at first sight or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. But that was it for me. So I, I know that you're a left-handed drummer, along with Jellybean is also a left-handed drummer. Or at least, am I assuming that you're also left-handed? I am. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. I'm left-handed too, but still, I play I play drums the traditional way. Yeah, yeah. So, backhanded. Or, yeah, backhanded. The thing is, is that, you know, I, I first saw my first backhanded drummer, like, in the late 70s so like when you're setting up the drums and you decide that this is the way i want to face and this is my 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 positioning like no one tried to correct you and say well you should be ambidextrous or drum on both sides or like how did you wind up drumming what we would call in reverse See, see, brother, you you asking me questions and making me question myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Quest Love Supreme. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, this ain't going to be the, so tell us about yeah. Jungle Love. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I already told you. You've heard that question before. I already told you, man. I'm a nerd no, out. <laughs> no, for real. I, I appreciate that. I don't know. I just think when I got my first drum set, you know, I'm down in the basement, you know, uh, pulling out the box and setting it up. 
And I just gravitated toward having my snare, you know, um, on, on, on my um, right side. Right. And, you know, I just, that's just how I set them up. And I just continued to play that way. Okay. So doesn't that make it hard to quote casually sit in? Like, do you have the ability to actually play the opposite way? No, no. I always, you know, I can't switch the whole set around, but I can at least uh, switch Put the, the snare and the hi hat. Snare and the hi hat. And, you know, <laughs> it may, it makes the feel sound interesting when you're going backwards around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I see that. Uh, I don't. Well, I, I know that uh, Garibaldi is 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 holds dear to your heart. But like, yeah. Yeah. was he was he your? Who was your first drumming hero? Oh, my, my drumming heroes were, were definitely all the James Brown drummers, you know, and, 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 and listening, you know, back to Can't Stand It. And, and um, I got the feeling and stuff. I mean, to me, the, the pockets and the meters uh, mm -hmm. that the brothers came up with was nothing short of incredible. And it, I definitely see where uh, Garibaldi got his chops from listening to them. And but I just there was a technical way that he put it together that I that, that I just thought was very clever. But definitely all the JB's drummers in the early days and still to this day for me. OK, well, I, I know that at some point you guys were all under the same management. Have you ever gotten to talk or, or get cool with Dave Garibaldi at all or? We've talked a couple of times, you know, I, I, I go, you know, to a show uh, when I whenever I can catch him, when I know he's drumming. And you know he 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 knows you know that that I dig um, uh, his style, but um, you know that's about the extent of it. Okay, so just like nice pleasantries, but never like. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You guys call each other, yo, man, check this thing out. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not like that, man. <laughs> so you know, we asked we asked Jimmy Jam his version of this. Uh -huh. Can you break down your version of growing up in Minneapolis as far as? You know, the side of town you grew up on, where the cool side of town was, mm -hmm. where the side of town you don't go to, radio, socially. Like, could you just give us a kind of a run of what your your preteen life was in, in Minnesota? My preteen life, you know, in Minnesota was um, I, I pretty much lived in the don't go to areas. <laughs> oh, you live on the quote, the other side of the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. You know, uh, both sides, south side and north side were the areas that if somebody said, hey, where should I not go in Minneapolis? They would have said both both sides of town that I lived on. But what my experience and my takeaway from Minneapolis is I, I can't hate on it because that's obviously where I really found myself and musically and in and, and, and a great circle of musicians. Right. But um, at the end of the day, my experience in Minneapolis, I'm not surprised with the whole George Floyd situation because I saw Minneapolis as being a, a racist town. Um, and um, I, it, it just doesn't, it didn't surprise me. First Avenue, which Prince chose to glorify, didn't really even um, cater to, to blacks at all. You know, it was all about rock bands and Husker and, do. You know, yeah, we didn't hang out there at all and, and never really felt welcome there. So, you mm -hmm. know, that was just, um, you know, it was interesting that he chose that. 
mm-hmm. and it worked out. But that's not the you know the Purple Rain Minneapolis is not the Minneapolis that I uh, grew up in. So you guys had to build that utopian because like okay yeah I was one of those people that like you know that the the modern era theme the modern era scene where you know you and apples are sitting in the audience with your champagne and all these black and white and mixed race people are just dancing with, like in my mind I thought like oh Minnesota is this utopian yeah. sort of you know this mythical utopian place that we need to go to but that was basically a something that you guys had to build hey you know what you know i just there's good and bad people you know but uh, you know minneapolis grew to be that because so many people saw purple rain and i think prince did a great job of, of making minneapolis really look like this music mecca and this melting pot and um you know it it it, it i don't know you know but it it wasn't like that you okay. know and um i think he helped i he he helped the city a lot by um, choosing to uh, use First Avenue and glorify it like that. Um, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, sound lean in one direction or the other. I had a lot of good white friends and all of that, but I, I was, um, you know, um, stopped by the cops a lot, you know, okay. thrown on the hood of my car in front of my five-year-old daughter at the time over mm-hmm. really trivial stuff. So I, oh, all- when you were Morris Day, like when you were, no, it, it was on the way, to, it was on the way, you know, okay. right. but, but still, you know, um, I had one of the first, uh, uh, you know, I was one of the first brothers, you know, bought, bought a porch back in 1980, you know, two. And um, right. I stopped for, you know, just having a high end car. So, you know, it was just it was it was crazy stuff, you know. So, so wait, can I ask, with that being said, now I want to know about your people then, because like where were your parents from and what was their background? I know you said you grew up in the uh, projects, but who were your who were your parents? Well, my parents, we're, we're all out of Illinois. Okay. So um, I was born in Springfield, Illinois. And, you know, all my folks were like Springfield, Decatur, Illinois, Chicago, that circle down there. And, you know, um, a couple of my uh, relatives moved up to Minneapolis. And the story goes, and like I always like to say, it's in the book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, my mom took us up to Minneapolis. We were supposed to be going to Cali. And I was so looking forward to that. And um, we stopped in Minneapolis to visit my sick aunt, so my mom said. And we ended up there for the next 20 years. And I was a little bitter about that. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's it different. got good. You know, it got really good. You know, I met some really good people. I met Prince. I met Andre Simone and and all of my guys, you know, because I... I couldn't find myself. I wasn't an athlete and I wasn't popular in school for, for no particular reason. So once I got in the band and once I found myself with the music, then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Life changed for me. So Minneapolis for me was the place to be. Okay. In the idea of, well, first of all, um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that, and I'm going on uh, Jimmy Jam's account about how bl- how radio was at the time. Yeah. How are you guys getting culture? Like it's 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 baffling to me that for a group of people, and meaning that all of you in Minnesota, who basically dictated what black culture would be um, in entertainment from the '80s on, 
and that's you know music attitude style all those things for you guys to not even have that foundation to even know to build upon it like how are you learning about whatever was hip and black in the day if it's not in minnesota like how are you getting what's your internet how do you know know about the meters how do you know about a group called heat wave like how are you getting hip to this okay so you know first of all you got diverse um parents from different parts of the country uh moving from chicago to minneapolis moving from uh california to minneapolis and and they're bringing their record collections and then also we had uh back in the day it was called kuxl the am radio station that played all the soul music and um it, it broadcasted from maybe eight in the morning till uh sundown and had like a five block radius but you could listen to you know you could get you know all of the new music there and then so then we would hear the new parliament funkadelic we would hear the new uh the new commodores or or whatever mm-hmm. and then we would go to the mom and pop and we say hey when when are you getting when this record when is this record coming in and they would tell us we'd be waiting on this record and then on the other hand you know we could listen to the the groups like the commodores and um Diana Ross and Lou, Lou Rawls and that had surfaced to pop radio and we hear their music and then we would hear the pop music. And then, so this is in our brains when we sit down to say, we're going to write a song and then we're thinking Parliament Funkadelic, we're thinking James Brown, but then we're hearing, you know, all of the pop bands in our brains. And so, you know, these melodies, you know, kind of meld together. And, and, and I think that's how we really came up with what we ended up with. Oh, okay. I see. I see. I'm I'm fam- I'm familiar with the kind of mixture of uh, Enterprise slash Grand Central slash Flight Time amalgamation. But were there any other bands in the area that you were frightened of, or just like, yo, they're going to make it, or or even other people who were from the area, like. Uh, the D train guys or, or even the, what's his name? Rock, Rocky Robbins, like were, or the lips incorporated people like non purple associated, uh, Minneapolis musicians, like the other guys, how fierce was the competition or was it just like the four main groups that eventually wound up working all together? The, 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 the competition was amazing. It felt like there was a band on every block, but Mm, okay. For some reason, I always felt like, you know, and Flight Time, you know, was amazing. You know, there was a group called The Family that Sonny Thompson, I think Sonny plays in one of the um, spinoff Prince bands right now. And he's the guy that came by and he he plays everything like Prince did. I think he taught Prince some things. And um, he's the guy that really came by and and taught me my first real drum beat and how to really start mashing on the drums. And he was that kind of guy. But you know, there was the competition was fierce. But the reason why I got in Grand Central was because I went to a high school dance. I thought I was going there to see a girl to meet up with a girl. I saw them playing and I forgot all about the girl that you were on the day. <laughs> I stood there right at in front of the band and I was mesmerized. You know, you got Prince, 13 years old on the guitar, Andre Simone. Um, his uh, Prince's cousin, Charles Smith, they call him Chaz. These guys are playing Santana, 
Hendrix, they're playing everything like they're 21 years old. Prince is doing amazing guitar solos at that age. And, and I just said, man, you know, and I've been woodshedding on the drums for years at that point. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to be a part of this. And, um, you know, my whole point is I got to know Andre uh, Simone. He came by my house one day. It's in the book, Quest. You know, um, <laughs> you, you know, and um, we we were skipping school and he heard me play drums, man. And, you know, I, I played some Garibaldi soul vaccination. What is hip? You right. know, and um, I'm firing up all my grooves and I stopped playing. And he's looking at me like eyes all stretched. I was like, what's up, man? He's like, man, I didn't know you could play like that. And he said, you know, we're having trouble, you know, with a little, you know, our drummer's chasing women. He's not showing up at rehearsal and everything. We're looking, you know, to replace him. We're looking for somebody serious. You should come by, bring your drums, you know, let Prince hear you. So I take my drums over there. Mm-hmm. I set them up. I start firing up the grooves. We, we do some of the songs. I'm, I'm, you know, doing my thing. And, you know, so we stopped. And Prince, you know, was a man of very few words. Even back then, he's looking at me very mysteriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, never really said shit to me. But then Andre came to me and he's like, man, you know, Prince loved it. You're in. So my point is, is, is that I felt like I was getting into a superior situation from the time that I got into Grand Central. So I already felt like I was in a band that was even as fierce as the competition was. I felt like I was in the best band in Minneapolis at that point in time. Wow. Okay. Listen, black representation is essential. If I hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio, I wouldn't be in radio. Women like Robin Breeden, Candy Shannon, Michelle Wright, Deanna Williams, women owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb, duh. I mean, just think about it. 
Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa! Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. My choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 Plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Often this name comes up anytime we do these types of episodes and I never ask and I got to ask you. The common denominator between everyone associated with Minneapolis that the the name holds holy is the name of Sonny Thompson. But is is there a reason why he was never in the first draft of any of these projects coming up? Like, was he did you guys ever figure like, oh, how can we get Sonny down with us? Or was he just so advanced that? You know, you guys never even considered that he'd be down with y'all or because everyone speaks of Sonny Thompson with this like religious like it's the was, best thing I've ever seen. Uh, but, he was, he's an amazing musician and um, way ahead of his time. And his name, I do believe, came up uh, to be in the time. But I had a different idea myself of what the band should be. And I already okay. had my eyes focused on um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis because I had heard them play. I knew Flight Time was an amazing band, and I heard um, they had done some songs, produced some songs on Cynthia Johnson, who was the one that ended up singing Funky Town. And oh, um, Incorporated. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so I already had that in mind, and, you know, he didn't argue with me on that, but I believe he wanted Sonny in the band, and, you know, he had his idea of what the time should be, and I had mine. And fortunately, you know, he, w- he went with my version of the time. Okay, cool. So how do you wrestle? Like, what is the story of how you got kind of your own all-star draft, if you will, um, grabbing these people from various groups and making your 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 own band? Well, you know, um, it was pretty easy, actually, because, you know, everybody knew that, you know, Prince had done his thing. He had this big deal at Warner Brothers. He showed up. He went and got the deal. And, um, you know, he he always used his pick for his afro, you know, cake cutters. I don't know if you remember the cake cutters, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That was that pick with the handle on it. Oh, that's yes. the one that you yeah. use. Yeah, with that. Oh, long cake cutter, handle. yes. Yeah, I, cake I, cutter. That's what you use, right, Amir? I'm very familiar with that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he always had his cake cutter, so he went and got his deal with Warner Brothers. They cut him a check for 80 Gs. We had never seen nothing like that. It had his name on it, and it's just a, you know, seal the deal he said his cake cutter right next to the check you know so we can all (laughs) (laughs) that it was his for real but anyway um 
you know, I, I, I just wanted flight time, you know, Jimmy, Terry and Monty. And um, I really wanted Jelly Bean to be the drummer, but I was the drummer. So at that point, we were looking at different singers and that's when Prince said, hey, why don't you sing? And, you know, at first I wasn't fond of that idea, but then when I thought about it, I said, hey, that means Jelly Bean could be in the band. And so everybody's in. And meanwhile, you know, when I was playing in Enterprise, Band of Pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, I had heard about this guitar player down in Rock Island, Illinois, who was doing 20 minute solos where his band would leave the stage and he'd just stand up there and solo for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, this has got to be our guy. And so, you know, I, I, I told um, Mariti Holmes, who told me about Jesse, I said, can you have him come up? Had him come up. He started, uh, he stayed in my house, in my little townhouse and in my living room on my couch. And, you know, he started playing with Enterprise, amazing guitar player. You know, I played Prince, a tape of him playing and Prince said, oh yeah, that's our guitar player. So, I mean, you know, the Mm -hmm. rest is history. That's pretty much how it came together. Dang, was anybody hard to get? Was Was it a struggle with anybody to convince? No, because we were all struggling already. So just to be, you know, right. in a group that, you know, under Prince's production company with, with some promise to do something big, you know, everybody yeah. was in, you know. Okay, so <laughs> when you guys are in this period of your lives, uh, am I assuming that you guys had, like, day jobs to go to as well? And how do you balance, like, rehearsal versus pocket change? Yeah, well... I pretty much failed at every day job I attempted, you know, um, okay. I think the longest I last was maybe six months. And, um, you know, pretty much every job I ever had, the manager would end up, you know, I'm that guy singled out that he'd be looking at, you know, two, two hours into every shift. He's like, call me to his office. She's like, you don't want to be here. Do you <laughs> like, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> So anyway, by the time we got to putting a band together, I, I was pretty much um, uh, living with a girlfriend of mine. She was working and paying the, the big bills and I was doing the musician thing, you know, and making $50 a, a show or whatever, $35 a show or whatever I made. Right. And that was pretty much what I did. It was just all about music at that point in time in my life. Okay, I see. I, I do want to know is at any point, was was Alexander O'Neill at all like at any of these rehearsals? I mean, before you know the the eventual fallout or his exit or whatever. But is there any point in which it was the seven of you? Or I don't know if Jelly Bean was there. Like, no. Is there- at that point, it was it was pretty much songs that 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 either Prince had cut or Prince and I had cut, uh, and we were just trying singers out in the studio, never okay. as a band. But, you know, Alexander was 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 the lead singer of Flight Time, so they were actively working together at that time. Okay, I see. I, I know that uh, you also, like, uh, I, I assume traveled with Prince when he was touring. Well, I assume that the first major tour he did was Rick James, so I, I guess you were on that tour with him. Am I correct? Were you at all like present during the Rick James print shows? I think that was over. I caught the next round when I came to town. He was um, doing the Dirty Mind. Um, I think that's okay. that's when I went out with. So okay, 
Were you eyewitness to the Rolling Stones incident? Yes, I was. Uh, boy, it's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah. I, I've I've heard that you you know well first of all I know that you were like recording these shows and yeah. being a collector of these shows I'm assuming that maybe one of these shows that I have is your camera work. Um, <laughs> first of all, yeah, it's it's who who even has the 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 vision to know to record themselves every night to judge i mean that's that's an amazing technology to have because remind it wasn't us like every... remind us of the story oh okay well i believe that the legend is that you know morris would set up uh the tripod camera and record print shows on vhs or betamax whatever mm. um so that prince could watch himself and of course like suckers like me uh who indulge a lot in the bootleg market in the last 25 years, whatever, like all these tapes <laughs> have surfaced and whatnot. And I'm not saying that maybe or maybe not. I paid uh, How much? Mid, mid five figures for stuff. But I don't know. <laughs> no, do what anyway. you got to do. Do what you got to do. History, history, history. <laughs> but I'm playing. <laughs> anyway, um, but my my question is, yeah, like who's, for me, in 80, 81, who's thinking of like purchasing a video camera recorder? <laughs> and and recording these shows night after night like cuz it's a rare technology that wasn't a household name yet until at least 83 84 85 so yeah yeah absolutely and it wasn't it wasn't compact technology either we're talking big vcr and some pretty nice size cameras um that and, yeah, you know, how do you get the tapes like night those, after night after night? Like after those night. big, like the big ones, like this, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. right. Much. And you know, I'm like, on a tripod, yeah. and I had a, I had my own road case, case that I was oh. interested in. So you know, anyway, that was me. After Prince said, "Hey, Bobby Z's my drummer," and he said, "But I offer you a gig to tape the show." So you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I pay you 150 dollars a week. That I'm like, I can travel and you know, go to shows and at least, you know, somehow be a part of this for, you know, I said, I'll take it. And so, you know, I, I was video on the shows and, and that's something that stuck with Prince uh, throughout his career. And I don't care, you know, even when we did the musicology tour with him or the, the dates that we did do, he would make everybody, his band and everybody had to go to whatever club he rented out afterwards. And he would have that show on the projection. Really? And everybody Yo. had to watch it. Everybody had to watch it. Did he critique show. it? Yeah. Critique it. Yes. That's some next level like, shit. In the nightclub. Like a coach. Like he was a real have, coach. Did you have a nightclub hey, if you fucked get, up? Getting on the musicians. Hey, you were behind on that song. Yeah. Hey, you this wrong. The whole thing. The whole show. Every show he did in, that. In the nightclub, though? In the nightclub. But it wasn't Yo, nobody I, in the club, but them, you know that. You know, he rented it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mayor, I, feel, I feel like you should start some shit with the roots where you no, just start no, playing back. Ah, like, you just go for it. But here's right. the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Now, now I don't feel so bad because, you know, there. my nightclub story is the fact that oh, uh, no. he took me off turntables and wanted to watch Finding Nemo in the nightclub. You were there, Lightyear. Yeah, I know. I said I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such a, like... It, you don't, know the, embarrassment. Wait, you don't know the embarrassment it is being a world-class DJ. For those that weren't there, what's the story? So the, the story is basically, 
Prince is in Philly for the Musicology Tour. Great tour. And I get 10 tickets. And in true Amir fashion, I forgot to count myself as part of the 10. <laughs> so I got 10 friends. And so we're walking in. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I realized, shit, I'm 11. Fuck. <laughs> so who you sent home? It was, well, it was like more than sold out. And it just so happens that Ruth and him happened to be in a, a, a golf cart whizzing by. And I was just like, man, shoot your shot. And I said, look, I know I got 10 tickets from you guys, but I forgot to include myself in the 10. He thought it was silly. He thought it was funny. He laughed and was like, I was right, with you, you the in that moment. That was the girl that was with you, just so you know. <laughs> well, there was 10 of you. Then that moment, the cart moment. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. Oh, well, anyway, my point was that I sat under the stage and watched the show. But then towards the end of the show, Ruth rushes to me and says, Prince, Prince does this thing with me. Like my relationship with him is like I Prince has this thing where he tells you to do something and automatically you're like, oh, I work for you. Yes, mm -hmm. sir. So I'll go to the club. Hey, run the soundboard. Okay. And I'm like, at the soundboard, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but Prince told me to run the sound. Play bass. This I'm was a play whole bass. era, play Morris, for Amir. It was an era. Right. So <laughs> Prince would have me just do shit I never did in months. Like, I've gone to the supermarket to get milk. I've played bass. I'm like, wait, I don't play bass. So, <laughs> Where's so the, this, the this one night, he this one night, he asks me, well, he, he, com they command me to find him a nightclub to have uh, an after party. Yeah. And so then, of course, I hit up our, our good friend, Stacy Wilson from Philly. Stacy, find me a, a nightclub. She finds me a nightclub, but it's a five-story walk-up. And then at the last minute, Prince is like, and I want to play pool. And so <laughs> now they got an hour to find a pool table and and dismantle it and lug it up five stories to the, to the rooftop of this nightclub. Uh, and I want you to DJ. So now I got this before Serato. So now I got to run to my dungeon, grab all these records. So, you know, I, I do it. And three records in Prince obviously didn't take a liking to, to Fela. I was playing Afrobeat and they're like, put this on instead. And I'm looking and it's a DVD and it's finding Nemo. And I'm like, uh, wait, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> So, <laughs> so can Morris, can you translate that? What was he trying to say to Amir in that moment? I, I still don't understand. Oh, really? You don't understand when a person's was... telling you he's getting fired right now? Well, I was hoping that wasn't it. Maybe it was something else. No, well, he just, I just never seen someone put a videotape on in a nightclub. Like we're in, and the thing is, it's like, it's 2004. So our version of the nightclub is more like Diddy era where it's sexy and, mm -hmm. you know, smoky and lasers and stuff. And then all of a sudden, yeah. like Nemo. you hear Ellen DeGeneres and and you know Albert, what's his name, and Finding Nemo. Yeah, we're we're watching a Pixar film in the club, like it was normal. And now that I know that Morris has told us that, okay, that he just puts tapes on it. anything but music on in the club just seems weird to me. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'm surprised he wasn't making everybody watch the show because that that's usually what he did it was a oh man it's like he had to see himself <laughs> wow okay i love that he was a coach i think that's dope it's like that means he's an athlete like he's a real athlete when it comes to this i, I get it now that is the approach like, so I, I gotta ask so can you give us your version of the rolling stone show oh man um 
that was traumatic because, you know, um, you know, I, I know I knew this brother, you know, to his level of professionalism and his need to um, be accepted as an artist. And um, so I think he's going up there thinking, you know, he's um, straight up in Billy Idol mode, you know, uh, half this is my moment. Right. Yeah, you know, half naked, you know, I'm going to show him how I can rock and roll, you know, with the bikinis and the leg warmers and all that on. And, um, you know, you, you, you're straight up in front of a um, hardcore rock and roll crowd. A lot of these guys were bikers and, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and, and um, they just wasn't hearing it, man. So, you know, he comes out and he's doing his thing and um, uptown and all that. And all of a sudden, you know, you start hearing the booze and the beer bottles start flying up on stage. And I knew, you know, right at that moment that it was time to start making my way uh, with my you know, little cameras, camera equipment backstage because it wasn't going to be nice. So and, that hmm. shows on tape. I never saw it on tape, but I taped it. You know, I don't, <laughs> know, what, I don't know what happened to it. Somewhere but, in this earth is that show. Somewhere on this planet, that show is on uh, DVR. You're going to find it. He's on a no, VHS. Oh, that's, but it's, it's labeled. It. It's Jesus. labeled Finding Nemo. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Hey, um, Morris, how long did you keep this job, this camcording, this gig? This well, gig? see, that's the whole thing. You know, I, I was just staying close, you know, because when I, I had moved away, you know, when he got his record deal, I was living down in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland, which oh, is wow. outside of DC, you know? Yeah. And um, so, you know, things didn't work out well for me. So I moved back to Mini. And, um, once he found out that I got back, he was real happy that I was there. So I started hanging out, going to rehearsals. And that's when I kind of said, you know, hey, man, I'd really like to be the drummer. And he's like, no, I have a drummer. And that's when I got offered the job to video the shows. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he told me, you know, he said, you know, um, you can use the studio anytime you want. And of course, I took advantage of that. And so the one of the first songs I cut was this slow funk uh, track and um you know I, I put the drums down then I I put the bass down and it was the party up bass line but I played it way funkier you know I was in a funk mode with it right. and um he's like you know and so I go home and I come back the next day to cut some more stuff and he's like you know I, I like that track that you cut he's like if you give me that track he said I'll give you I don't know 10k I don't I forget what he said he said or I'll help you put a band together you pick it mm. I said and he said, I'll get you a record deal. I said, of course, I'll take the band and the record deal. My money. So that, yeah. So that was pretty much the end of my uh, video career, videographer career. And, um, you know, from that point on, it really, really happened fast. You know, we he sent, um, he had me sing a couple songs. He sent them to Warner Brothers. They signed the band and the concept of the time sight unseen. And so then we had like, two weeks to complete the record and it was just a whirlwind from there. Okay, so it was 10,000. In my mind, I thought it was substantial, like 20, 25, 30. And I was doing the math and I was like, wait a minute. Well, 20 back in 1980, that was like $70,000 today. Like, I don't know. It's like, of course, yes, you made the right choice by choosing the band situation. But I'm also thinking... Yo, you could have had your cake and eat it too, because 
I don't know if he's is he even expressing again the need to have other outlets to express him. Like, are you seeing this this OCD obsessiveness to channel more music through other acts yet? Because in my mind, I'm like, wait, why couldn't you get both? Yeah, well, you're right, but you know that was probably his inside his brain, right? Okay. But my brain is, you know, I can, you know, I know that we can put something nice together. And he'd already played me as uh, he had played me "Get It Up," um, which he had cut, believe it or not, for the group Brick. And why? Uh, uh, absolutely. And he had cut it for Brick. Brick. He sent the song to them. They didn't want it. God. They didn't want it. And I was like, man, I will take it. <laughs> so that's so know, random. Yeah, yeah. So um I Why did would he give it the brick? Yeah, it's crazy. I know. Because they were hot at the time, you know, and he was just thinking, you know, he had cut a song that they might like. But that's real, that's that's a true story though. A lot of people don't know that. I don't even know if that's in the book though. You know? oh, <laughs> it's definitely know. not in the book. I didn't know that. <laughs> By yeah. the way, um uh yeah, brick bricks um you guys, uh, that's Sleepy Brown's uh That's dad. right. That's right. That's yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Sleepy Brown's father. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is what I want to know. The hearing you speak right now, and I'm assuming that this is your natural speaking voice, when you're in the character of Morris Day, or when Prince is in the character of Jamie Starr. Who who is the figurehead that you guys are? Who's the Emulating? figurehead to whom you guys are mocking or or imitating, or like where did this this character you know the that that pre Cat yes I've talked to Cat Williams himself and he even said that yes you guys were kind of his impetus for that voice. Nice. Well, like so it, it ain't nobody bad like me. Exactly. <laughs> Who is who is that voice to which you guys took and perfected? Is you that know, how brothers talked in Minnesota? No, you know what? You know, it's it's really everything that you hear from from my laugh to when I get into that zone. You know, there's a way that you talk. You know, when you just in chill mode, regular mode, then there's a way that you talk when you have hyped up, talking to your partners, talking shit. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So. It's just it's just a it's just a an elevated level, if you will, of um you know of 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 my normal self you know so when I go into that mode that's pretty much how we were when we were just talking shit to each other you know laughing and you know and 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 you know when I uh, when I got in that mode the I would laugh loud like I laugh and Prince was like man we got to put that on the record you know so it was just you know it was it was kind of our inner circle, the way we talk to one another, you know? Okay. Oh, All right. This, this, this is my favorite part of the interview. Okay. So now I finally get to figure or ask you, grill you on the, the work mode operation of the TV. So are you the, are you the complete drummer on most of the times albums? Um, I played drums on all, most of the early al albums and a, uh, I played drums on uh, a few of Prince's songs as well, you know, so. That's you know, what I, I wanted to know. What yeah. what Prince songs or other non-time records have you drummed on that I might not know about? I did part of Let's Work. I, I played all of Let's Work 
Um, Yikes. And Prince, you know, he kind of, he played on it as well. So he kind of took parts of his, his track and mine. And, really? and yeah, I played drums on Controversy. I played, Yo. yeah, oh. New Power Generation. Um, Yo. Wow. Yeah. Um, man, I, I, I played on a lot of his stuff, but I never, you know, got credit just like he didn't necessarily in those days take credit for playing on the time stuff but i played on a lot of prince's songs as well okay so i'm trying i've been trying to explain to people what what the process is because we all you know most most purple heads or whatever they're very familiar with uh chlorine bacon skin (laughs) which was initially, I, I guess, the impetus of it was it was supposed to be a, a workout that would eventually morph into an actual song. Yeah. But then I guess it was so good, y'all just let the workout be the song. So if you guys aren't familiar, chlorine bacon skin. Bacon skin. So Steve is Steve is uh my engineer. So Steve, you know like when you set up a click track for me? So basically Prince would play the the role of the click track. So Morris would just drum a beat and to keep Morris sort of uh you know in the zone or whatever, Prince would set up his bass, set up a microphone, the way that I talk to the guys on the show, or whatever, talk shit, whatever, and then you record the drum thing, and then of course that morphs into something else. In this one particular case, Chlorine Bacon Skin actually wound up being so good it stayed on its own. That's a title of a song. Yeah, it's it's just it's just a fifteen minute song where Prince is just talking shit, and it's mad hilarious, but it's also mad funky. So for that song alone, I know that it was intended to be a work song that turns into something else. But when it was over, why didn't you guys turn that song into something else? Um, because I think we were both, you know, um, you know, just kind of really cool with the way it turned out. You know, he was talking shit, you know, uh, you know, in the beginning of the song, we start the song and he's talking and, you know, he, he's, he's getting on me. He's like, oh, nigga, the headphones, put your headphones on, put your, right, and then my right. headphones were on the floor. So I'm laughing and I put my headphones on and at the end of the song, we got done and, you know, it was like, it was just so hilarious. We said, we got to leave this alone. We got to just let it be what it is, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say one of the one of the rarest, highest things I've paid for. I didn't realize that you guys were actually intending to release this. So, you know, I one one of the up there, there there's there's like a mastered her her powers mastered 12 inch of chlorine that was supposed to see the light of day and I guess at the last minute it was Ixnade or maybe just had one printed up one of one or whatever but is that how all the songs were created so like when you're doing like Wild and Loose you know when you're drumming are you drumming to something totally different and then it eventually morphs into Wild and Loose yeah absolutely absolutely it started out as a um, you know Prince on the bass which you know probably one of the funkiest bass players I mean you know exactly to, listen to, to uh, 7 7 uh, seven nine three eleven. Mm-hmm. Nobody can play that song. Nobody can play that song the way he did. So exactly, you know, a lot of the songs we just um, we started like that. Him on bass, me on drums, 
And then we would find a pocket or if he had an idea a pocket, he'd tell me to go there. I'd hold the pocket and, you know, we would just um, kind of go from there. But most of all, most all of our songs that I played on uh, were, you know, they start out as jam sessions. So jam sessions and totally different keys and totally other things. And then you go home and then you come back the next day and then that drum performance you gave turns into something else. Yeah, possibly that or possibly the actual, the actual uh, song. session itself, you know, um, and he was a master at um, cutting two inch tape because you know how it was back in the day. Right. So, you know, uh, he would um, cut out the sections that we didn't need and uh, splice them together and then start uh, overdubbing, overdubbing from that point, you know. So he could razor splice his own tapes? Oh, yeah. Were you guys working on, was it a 16 track or a 24? Like what board, do you know, like the, yeah, the boards we that you. On, we start out on 16. Um, and uh, that's what we, uh, that got, get it up and all of uh, Cool Girl, all those songs, that first album were cut on 16 track. Right. And then after that graduated to 24 track. And then after that graduated to two 24 tracks where we had 48 tracks, you know. Oh, okay. I see. Okay, so let me ask about the twin of Bacon Skin, which is tricky. One, two, three, four. Why you big? Toss silent hairdo having long, tall, snaggly gold tooth. Funk in habit form leather wearing. Bean pole looking. Black. Was Tricky initially intended as one of these sessions that should turn into another song? And then again, you guys were just clowning around and decided, okay, let's just leave this as it, as it is. Well, Tricky happened when um, um, we heard that I believe it was, uh, was it Bootsy? But right. anyway, it was either, it was either Bootsy or um, George, George Clinton. Right. One of them had a song that said, Meow, Meow, Morris the Copycat. Immediately after we heard that, we went into the studio and that was our rebuttal. That was the, and it's like, why you be? Wait, you, what? So Toss Solid Hairdo Heaven, that was Bootsy. Michelin Man. (laughs) The Michelin Man, that was George Clinton. So we went in and, you know, had a field day, you know, as a rebuttal to them talking shit about us. (laughs) Dude, this, okay. This This is my cue. Hallelujah. Dude, dude. (laughs) Heads are exploded. Dude, you literally, I didn't expect this because in our mythical made-up land, we had decided that that was directed after the James Brown incident, you know, the James Brown, Michael Jackson, because we thought, like, okay, well, he has to be talking about somebody. At first, I just thought that you two were just ranking on each other because, you know, I, I didn't realize, again, like, Prince never made his voice known to us during that period in real time, so I had no idea that, like, the waiter... On right. the skits and yep, yep, the, yep. the Italian guy on the walk. I didn't exactly. realize that was Prince. Right, right. 
Right. I'm just thinking that's you and some of the guys. And so once I became aware of that, then I was like, well, wait a minute. If that's Prince and Morris, like, who are they talking about? So in my mind, I was like, okay, 1983, I know the James Brown incident happened and he was real embarrassed. And, oh, maybe that's who he's talking. That is crazy. So did you ever get actual verification that was actually about you? Or, you know, were they like, no, we were talking about the actual Morris the Cat from the Friskies commercial. Yeah, right? no, we we knew exactly, you know, and, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe they thought, maybe they thought Get It Up was, uh, you know, sort of a, 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 a Parliament Funkadelic groove. And I could see that, you know, and, you know, I could see the the influence of that, but I, I by no means uh, feel like we were biting uh, their sound at all. But well, that's... You know, I mean, they were no strangers to bucking shots, you know, because like, let's take it to the stage. They playfully call out, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire and Rufus and Sly and right. even, you know, the people that they're down with, but still like playfully doing. Wow, man, I had no <laughs> clue whatsoever. So was he actually eating chicken while he did that? No, no. Oh, OK. <laughs> No, you know what? Maybe. Now that you, you mentioned that, I think we might have bought a bucket of chicken. Yeah, I was like, I think <laughs> he was chewing chicken. I think we might have had a bucket of chicken on hand now that you mentioned it. <laughs> so that's, okay, I I want to know, what was the awareness of your contemporaries? At least, again, the, the, the myth in my head was that you guys were too cool for school you didn't listen to nobody else, like nobody, like zap, fuck them, and da, 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 whatever. But now that I'm older, I'm like, it's almost impossible for you guys to not know about the Daz Band or Zap or even like these new groups groups coming up like Z Look and Real to Real and Clique and you know, all these all these groups post eighty two that were trying to fit into that mood that you guys were. So I mean, how aware were you guys of other groups and their music? Like, did you ever come in and say like, yo man, there's a group called the system from New York. Listen to this shit. Yeah. Like, you know what? Um, you're, you're absolutely right. We were on, we were on that page. Um, but on a larger scale for us, we were listening to new wave groups like the cure. And, um, you know, we were listening to um, a lot of the crossover or, or pop groups and trying to, because we'd already, you know, we, we had the funk thing down. So what we were trying to do, and if you think about it, you listen to um, Ice Cream Castles mm -hmm. and, you know, listen to the verses on that and the whole vibe of that song. We were trying to get that, that the cure, you know, uh, we were trying to get that slightly new wave sound integrated oh, wow. into the funk. And 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 that's that's really where we were thinking. We were we were already past the funk thing because we had that. Wow. Mm. I never thought of that. So you guys were aware of okay. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. So humor humor is also a, another important weapon in in the arsenal of the time. Mm -hmm. Which you know, humanized you guys. And that was sort of the difference between, you know, your presentation and Prince's presentation. Because your humor, even though it was inside baseball jokes, it still made us want to be down with you. Mm -hmm. And it endeared us to you more because it showed a side of you. Like, Prince didn't show a sense of humor until way later in his career. So, yeah. like, but what I want to know is the fact that you guys would actually 
stage these uh, kind of vignettes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really the precursor to skits that De La Soul and NWA and them started doing, except they would actually make skits where you guys would just do the skits on the record. So, like, when you're doing songs like The Walk uh, or even Wild and Loose, Wild and Loose is probably a better example because, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's Lisa. Is that Lisa and Jill Jones talking to each other? Uh, them talking to each other on Wild and Loose when you guys are there? I actually think it's, it's just some some random girls that um oh, that, that, that had no <laughs> come in, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, how, however, on the walk, that was that was vanity. That was vanity. I know that. Yeah. yeah. But the the reason why I'm asking about Wild and Loose is because, you know, in my mind, over analyzing the song, I'm like, okay, there's a 32 bar break, and in that 32 bar break, on the left side, the two girls have to set up the narrative perfectly where they're explaining how they got your phone number when they talk to you and da 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 But then on the right hand, you hear, you know, you, Jesse, or whoever talking shit about the same thing that they're talking about. And and, and it's and it's coordinated perfectly. And it doesn't sound casual. Like, it doesn't sound like it was just a happy accident. Like, yes, we're just going to take this 32-bar break and talk shit. Like, there's an actual narrative that goes on. And, like... So when it comes to those 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 moments in the time songs when it's time to talk shit or do humor, and I'm talking about the Kid Came, Ink You Come, or even Chili Sauce or those songs, like how important is that, or was it just Prince? Like, okay, I don't, I don't have another, I don't have a third verse, so let's just do a, a skit real quick. Like, how is that organized? Well, you know, I think it was, I think it was more once we got the body of the song, you know versus hooks and you know then you know it was always prince's plan to 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 make these to bring our personality to these songs and you know to make them you know you know accessible you know and and not i mean we have the great musicianship and then on the other hand you know make it accessible through you know like these vignettes and a little comedy in there and just have fun with it to you know just kind of you know, help people enjoy. And I don't think that that was the plan outright at that moment, but, you know, that's what it ended up being. He just wanted to bring personality to the records. And, you know, we always laughed and talked shit. We would go to the club, we would have a good time, then straight to the studio and, you know, listen to what was on and um, get that fresh in our brains and then straight to the studio and start cutting, you know, with, with, what was hot in mind and, and, you know, doing our own thing with it. Okay. I knew you guys had to present to us that you were above funk and above, you know, like what, what you, what you mortals do? Like we're above that. <laughs> um, however, can you just name one or two songs or groups that like, all right, I respect that. Like, I know you guys toured with zap. Like, yeah to them were they like eh, they all right or was it like woo okay I, I fucks with this like yeah yeah no zap was a hell of a band i mean more bounce to the ounce who can deny that man that's uh, you know that's that's one of the funkiest songs you know and, and and you know that's the way roger always presented it he would make his band like stay in that pocket you know how you know sometimes you get excited and we we do that and and our our temples are Start speeding up yes and they're higher than the record is. 
And, right. you know, that was okay because, you know, you were in concert, you know, the energy and the, and, and, and the excitement is there. But Roger always had his band, you know, it was almost like he would click it out and say, you know, keep it right there. And it was always just slow and funky. And, and they, they always, you know, had a great show. So, you know, I mean, you know, uh, there, there's uh, thousands of funk songs that, that I love and, and could get down with, you know, but, um, you know, we just... We just wanted to pre- present ourselves a little differently, you know. Mm. Okay, I see. What's what's the reasoning behind? You didn't find it a little unusual that, like, all of your records were just six songs. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's you know it's just like would you like a bucket of twenty four pieces of fried chicken <laughs> that just tastes all right, <laughs> or would you like a six piece that's real good? That's what <laughs> Quality, not quantity. I'm like, no, but Amir, I mean, as a person who's made a multi-track album in retrospect, is that kind of genius in a way, though, since you only get paid for it's, a It is way harder to make a classic with less songs. Like, yeah, to me, it's just that's, confident that's the, then, right? Because all, all the records that we look at that are classic are really under 45 minutes. Intervisions, Off the Wall, Dirty Mind, What Time Is It? Like, Shorter, you know, but it's also the thing, the risk of six songs is like when you shoot your shot, you better hit that shit. Better hit it. Right, right on target. That's why I said it's got to be confidence. So, I meant, were you, were you at all like uh, worried? Like, okay, well, after you heard Cool and these songs done, did you know instantly like, oh man, we're going to blow up so big. Like, did you feel that at all? Oh yeah, it was it, it was crazy like that. I felt you know that we were really um, onto something. Um, you know when when we um, finished uh, seven 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 nine three eleven, I'm like thinking, but they ain't heard nothing like this, you know. So right, you right. know, it's like you know we just you know we always just felt like we were on point with it. You know, um, we were in the moment and we knew we were doing something innovative, and um, you just felt like we had something different. You know, so um, you know I. I felt real good about, you know, uh, each each song on those six song albums. What was your life like two months after the 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 first time album, okay. at least in Minnesota? Like was like when did your life transform to? Whoa, well, you know, now it, now it, I'm this level. Well, you know. As, or Reggie as, Hammond in, in, in 48 hours, like yeah, going sure. to the bar, buying it out. I'm sure you know brother but um you know it, i went from you know trying to stretch my little five dollars to do the cover charge to get a drink to hold on to until the ice cubes melt you know by the end of the night <laughs> you know to you know to to getting offered you know bottles of champagne um get in for free you know um it's like when brothers need something for free you can't get it when you don't need it for free. When I'm actually making <laughs> a little money, then they're throwing everything at me for free. You know, so oh. change like that. You know. Yo, can okay. I can I ask what I just want to know? I want to circle back to this band leader thing now because now you are the band leader, and I'm curious about your evolution as a band leader. And if you thought, okay, this is in the beginning, this is who I'm gonna be, but then everything kind of changed for you because it's a lot of responsibility. You know, I, I I've never you know been like. A, you know, like Prince was a, uh, he was a band leader. You know what I'm saying? That, that you don't play one note. You don't wear one sock that he doesn't approve of. 
you know, and, you know, everything is controlled and he's in control. You know, I, I've never been like that. You know, I've always given my guys, you know, a little room to express themselves. Just never been a hands-on, like, dictator type of guy. So, you know, I, I you know, I always took a light-handed approach and I always found that, you know, kind of like when you let people express themselves a little more, you get a little more out of them. And I think that's kind of what happened with the time. The mm-hmm. only the only time that it really we, we really got clamped down on is with when Prince showed up to rehearsal. I was going to ask, was he thinking he was a punk? Like, come on, man, yeah. get, get them together. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. No, it wasn't like that because he felt like it was all his shit anyway, because we were signed to his production company. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, when he comes in, then the hammer comes down. But, you know, I think some of our greatest moments when we came up with the dance moves, the bird, and a lot of the grooves we came up with were when he wasn't there. Mm, but then he oh. would show up. And, you know, a lot of times he liked what we came up with. But, you know, if he didn't, he would say he was quick to say he didn't. And sometimes he'd say, I don't like that shit. And then he'd turn around and come back and, and he wrote a song with the same groove that he heard. <laughs> so right. you know, he was just one of them kind of people, you know, he was good cop. Okay. So with with his with his with his uh, attention to detail, you know, how hard was it in trying to bring seven, seven, seven? 9311 alive and Jellybean not really nailing the snare part. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, you know, uh, being, being, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic as yeah. hell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was never really able to grasp that drum beat, but he found a version of it, I guess, that. No, it that, works that, for him. Yeah. That, that Straight works. on the snare. Yeah, but yeah. okay. How come you guys didn't opt to do the drum machine thing that the revolution was doing? Because you know we always prided ourselves on being the live band, no samples, no click tracks, you know, none of that. So you know we always uh, opted to you know whatever it is, you know, keep it real. You know, I'm not the greatest singer on the planet. You hear a bad note, guess what? You're gonna hear a few bad notes if you come <laughs> to my concert. But guess what? You're gonna know that it's me singing, you know, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a perfect track that I put together that we hit and play just to get by, you know, it's me doing what I do. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh. You got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Hmm. 
How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See ATT.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Speaking of 777-9311, um, yeah, when we, when we, when a lot of us, Jesse was all too gleeful to let us know that, you know, Dave uh, Garibaldi's beat number 14 on the uh the Lindrum yeah was actually that like that program like in our minds we're thinking like yo this is the most genius drum programming of all time and <laughs> Jesse's just all too happy like Mm-mm. no all right. they did was press right right yeah. right so at the time did you know that uh Garibaldi had pre-programmed uh the Lindrum machine yeah I absolutely knew that and oh, that, yeah. Okay. That's why I was cool with the, you know, us using that, you know, because I, I was like, hey, this is one of my my drum heroes beats, you know, so. Right. And, so, you, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. So I was good with that. Was he ever made aware that, oh, you guys use beat number 14 from what I programmed? I told him that, you know, I told him uh, when 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 I finally met him, you know, I, I met Dave some years later, man, I, I when I was living in Vegas you know, they were doing a show at uh, one of those uh, small uh, showrooms. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a hot second to go back there and, and rap with him and other guys. And I definitely told him. Was he familiar with the song? Like, uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he knew, you know, probably when he heard the song, he's probably, oh, yeah. you know, that's yeah. my beat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. You know, uh, at that point, it's public domain. Once you put it on the drum machine, you can't come after somebody and say, hey, that's my beat, you know, because at that point, oh. He's already been paid for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I didn't even mean for litigious reasons. I, I just that. meant I somebody's that. thinking that though. I was yeah, curious that's just, myself. That's, that's just me adding my little two cents. Oh here. no, 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 all good, all good, brother. <laughs> Education hey, is good. So yeah. the thing is, with you know, were were rehearsals as super rigorous as the Prince rehearsals? Because again, you guys only have like I I can see, you know, Brown Mark's point of like, oh man, we're playing the same group for four hours. But, you know, Brown Mark is also dealing with an artist that not only has four, five albums under his belt at that time, but, you know, other music pouring out of him. But you guys are basically, like in those first two years, when you're only dealing with the six songs, it's like, how many 
ways did you guys have to perfect something that I'm certain that you had down packed by a week? No. Well, you know, we the the rehearsals were super rigorous. That's like that's almost brother. That's almost like saying how many ways can you cook eggs? Because, you know, we we went in there and we, we rehearsed the song a certain way and then uh, we would flip the arrangements and he would be there. And I mean, he taught us a work ethic, you know, that was unbelievable. We would rehearse every day, day in, day out, then go in. Then when the next single come out, then we would we would flip the arrangement of the songs, change the arrangements of the song mm -hmm. and of all the songs. And then it was just always we rehearsed all the time when we weren't on the road. We were rehearsing. I know rehearsing makes a better band, but part of me also felt like maybe just had you there just to keep you from off the streets or just, you know, where my eye was on you. But possibly. But we rehearsed to the point And, you know, I mean, because if you uh, and, and you, you, you may have Brother Quest, but if you look at, you know, our shows and all of the things that we did, um, You know, with those six songs and once it turned into 12 songs and and from there on, um, we had, you know, a lot of choreography, a lot of of of, of um, arrangements, different arrangements from the record. And it was second nature. We rehearsed so much that, you know, it was second nature. And at, at one point, you know, I look at the shows and we were so tight, you know, that it was, you know, it was amazing to watch. You know, I'm not. I don't even feel like I can put myself in that mindset to be as tight as we were. Uh, the, the moves me and Jerome did together and the band did together and the arrangements, um, they were super tight. And that's, like I said, we had gotten to the point where, you know, people would walk away from the show when we did shows with Prince. And like, Man, time kicked that ass tonight. You know, so right. you know, it, it was, um, it was intense. And, you know, You might be right about what his motives were. I weren't. Sh I'm not sure, but I just felt like he just wanted us to be um, as tight as we possibly could, and you know that we definitely achieved. Okay, so all right, now I'm gonna vicariously become a member of the time for a second. <laughs> so okay, Jelly Bean's no longer your drummer. I'm your drummer. Okay. Well, this is fine. And it's 1982. Uh, how much money am I making? a week when if i'm in the time by the time that what time is it comes out you make it about 150 $200 a week plus per diem was that quasi normal was well i got my inflation calculator you got an inflation calculator yes i do because i always i'm so derivative of the past i even want to know what prices were back in the day yeah so if All right, so a hundred and all right. Let's yeah, tell let's us be about nice and say that I'm I'm a good drummer. That you guys gave me two hundred dollars. What is that formula? Yeah, I'm so curious. Well, you got to get there's literally there's there's an app called Inflation Calculator. Ooh. Well, there you go. So I'm I thought you this, were doing math. I thought no, he had a device I'm, that they I'm just that smart. him. Okay. I'm quasi smart. So two hundred dollars uh, in 1982 uh, when you get to. 1981, it is... Hang on, hang on. Yes, I'm actually solving a math problem on Christmas. Yo, you just got Here everybody to like... download this damn calcul calculator. That's a okay, so th that would be $640 today. That's some I kind of paid... Eh. 
someone to carry my records. (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, I I guess I get it. Um, But you get your own room, right? Yeah, but you know, back then, you know, none of us were really used to a steady paycheck. You know what I mean? And, uh, right. you know, plus a per diem, you know, the per diem, I don't know, was another $10, $15 a day. So, you know, it, it, it was okay. You know, I might've got it up to $800 today by today's standards. All right. But I'm only, well, I'm trying to figure out the thing is, is that in our situation, we were definitely not making money. So our whole thing was we're going to stay on the road forever. <laughs> <laughs> Because once we come home, that's spend. when we become broke. Yeah. Right. But at least right. on the road forever, there's... Okay, so I ask you, in 82, yeah. is there such thing as a rider? Like, in my day, I knew early, okay, I want Golden Grams and Captain Crunch on every show. <laughs> we want... No, I mean, but that's how we realized that, okay, we get a rider, so we'll make the promoter go to the supermarket and stock up one... So y'all have stuff for later. Yeah. yeah. Now it's Bonner like soap. Brilliant. And like beets. <laughs> right. Like, so I'd, at the end of the tour, I'd mailed home, you know, 50 boxes of cereal. Shut now, up. of course, unfortunately, I became morbidly obese. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> I've lost the weight, Laia. Stop okay, playing. Yes. Okay. That was right. good times. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying there's a downside to that, too. But, you know, like, are you able to take care of home. I don't know what home is like, get your own apartment, that sort of thing. Or is it just like hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. I got a VCR and now I'm going back to my aunt's couch. Yeah, no, I, I, I was making more money as the, as you know, the band leader. I think I got to be honest. I think I gotten up to maybe, you know, when we were out there with Prince and touring regularly, I gotten up to maybe five grand a week. Nice. That's awesome. That's all. Yeah, okay, dope. but I was asking if I was the drummer at the time. So. Right. Well, you yeah. were still getting. No, you were still getting to you know six hundred. Okay, I get it. I get it. So, no, but the but, rider was was cold cut sandwiches. That was our rider. Okay. You just look forward to it. I just want to make sure y'all home. Now, traveling wise, like, is it fifteen passenger van? Is it station wagon? Who's driving? Well, you know, we started out in station wagons, and by the time, you know, we uh, graduated to doing the tours that we were on, the uh, uh, 1999 tour, whatever tours we were on, um, we had our own tour bus. Okay, I see. All right, now the dumbest question I'm going to ask, and I've never asked this to anyone from Purple. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a gotcha journalism person, so I'd never like, like gossipy questions or whatever, like technical questions, but... I just got to know. Okay. So you guys are also in the midst of some of the finest women on earth. At least that's how they were presented to us. Oh, yeah. Again. (laughs) Like Vanity and Apollonia. You you guys seen Susan and Brendan and all them like in the morning. So I I understand that there's the magic of the makeup artist and the hair and all that stuff. No, no, no. I'm just saying that I don't expect them to wake up in camisoles and shit. But I'm just saying... (laughs) You don't? Like, nah. <laughs> but, but my but point you know is... But you Vanity was hot in the morning. I don't care what you say. They woke up like that. Yeah, All the time. Okay. My, whole, my whole point is that in, you know, I know, or at least my perception of how you guys were, were there unspoken ground rules mm. on the cock blockage tip 
<laughs> Wait a minute. The combination of those words. I know. I've never heard those words put together like that. I that can't fantastic. believe I said those words. But no, that's some real tip. shit. I'm very proud of you. Yo, you dog, too. I've been in situations where, you know, motherfucking d- d- drum text trying to holler at my joint or whatever. And like, yeah. yo, B, no. that's called fired. Yeah. Well, you know, the, well, I'm the, not that petty because then I, I don't want to begin. Oh, man, he uh, fired me because I was trying to talk to his lady and whatever. Oh, but, no, but the, the, the unspoken am. rule was they all belong to Prince. <laughs> You just, so leftovers are good, and second. if that's if that's what you was down for, but, but the the unspoken rule was, hey, you know, Prince, they all mine. So oh. some nerve, you can't handle all of them. That's that's rather amazing, and I don't mean that in the sort of the pimpish. Wow, I want to be that when I grow up, but. I, I can't like even Jesse imagine. Rebelled. I feel like Jesse would have rebelled. I don't no, know. No, I, sure. I just can't. I can't even. I can't even juggle the Tonight Show, a Roots album, a movie, and a book, <laughs> and and my girlfriend. Like, yeah. imagine isn't three that, of them. Isn't that what yeah. you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm asking for tips. <laughs> How did he do it, dude? Multiple women is the whole thing. I can't. That's like I can't. Yeah, yeah. So hey. I mean. In in being around in that atmosphere, where they actually, I know that the, the power of beautiful women around actually they they make the the best wingmen, you know, mm-hmm. they make the best wingmen almost. So, yeah. in terms of that, like, what was it like just in general? Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I got to stop you, this question. No, you got to finish. Stop no, this you question. Gotta finish. No, I got some more important to ask. <laughs> Something that just hit me right now. Jimmy Jam just recently revealed to me that quote, ah, ka, 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 and yeah. the kid can't make you come. Yeah. What's my name? It's Baby, ain't it? Was your version of Vanity's ad lib and Nasty Girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't even. I know, I know you got. Look, I know I'm talking inside baseball right now. I will explain to you guys way later. Okay, I'm, I'm hosting a podcast, so I got to explain. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. Okay, so at, at, at the end of Nasty Girl, when Vanity has to ad lib somewhat before the breakdown of the song, she reaches for a few notes, which one of them is uh, a, a high note, ha, 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 whatever. So I'm assuming that she tried to reach this high note in concert, and I'm imagining uh, that there was some mocking going on of her maybe not hitting the notes or whatever. Whatever the case was, there's a skit, and I was talking about these skits earlier. There's there's a skit <laughs> there's a skit where I'm assuming that that's Mar Morris's orgasm voice. Right. And when he hits his orgasm on the song, on the skit, he does the I don't know it at the time, but he's doing the vanity ad lib. Whatever. Right, and at right. first, I just thought he was imitating a chicken. <laughs> and then Jimmy Jam reveals to me, <laughs> no, that was him 
that used to be our inside joke. So can you can you explain to me the genesis of how that? I don't even think you need to explain it to me because I can almost imagine that. Yeah, there had to have been some ribbing or teasing going on. Oh man, yeah, we used to do that a lot. You know, when we were on, when we y'all couldn't on- hit on them, so you had to treat them like second grade sandbox teasing. Sisters, I get it, little sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, we 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 could you know hit on them, take our best shot, see how it went. But you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> ah! fun, you know, it's, it's, no Tony M situation. I just found out about, <laughs> about Tony M and uh, Carmen. No, Electra. inside baseball, that's not fair, Amir. You don't know about Tony M and, and Carmen Electra? Oh, yes. Oh, Carmen Electra. Yes. Yeah, I, I just, I never knew how Tony M, I, okay, I'm sorry. I found out that he allegedly got dismissed because he crossed that line. Ah. Okay. Anyway, so finish yeah. what you were saying, Mr. Yeah, ben. well, that, that was that was a, a line uh, that if you cross was a dis, a dismissible line. So, wow, you know, but yeah. uh, you know, anyway, no, we um we just used to kind of make fun of her, and she really would get pissed. You know, we walked by the dressing room, <laughs> you know, so, so it was just yeah, that was our version oh. of her ad lib on Nasty Girls. <laughs> <you know? laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh so, god! Since you asking dumb questions, can I ask a dumb question? Yes, please ask dumb questions. But Morris, I really, I really appreciate you. I know you're doing this just to be polite. Like, I, I thank you for letting us nerd out on you. I just had to say that. But good. Oh no, I do, I do too. But just this is not my question. Just for everybody else who may have still thought this. So just officially, Morris Day and Prince not related, right? Wrong. <laughs> They are y'all cousins. They're cousins. That's that's the story. But we we just we just brothers in the uh, brother from another mother sense, you know. But uh, not not uh, blood related at all. And one more because I know you talk about this in the book, but I just need to know now. Um, bringing Jerome in, at what point did you, was was it thought that he needed to be there? I know Jimmy told his version of the story and the evolution of y'all relationship. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, Jerome. He's just one of those guys, you know, to this day, you know, you, you, you know, Jerome, you know, uh, he's a lovable guy, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he was just there at first. He was a real valet where, and, and he would collect our luggage, you know, we we're out on the tour bus, uh, you know, 12 o'clock, they say, have your luggage outside the door. Jerome's getting the luggage. He's putting it on the tour bus. He's getting us, pizzas and whatever we want and doing all that. And so we go back into rehearsal after the first tour and um, we're rehearsing cool um, because that's going to be our, our, our second single. And so, you know, uh, we rehearse and we get to the part where I say, somebody bring me a mirror. And, you know, Jerome takes off, grabs a mirror off the wall runs back up, shows up in front of me, holding up a mirror, and everybody just kind of stopped playing. We all looking at each other like, that's going to be in the show. So uh, that was it. You know, from that moment on, Jerome was a part of the band, and it just evolved from there. In mm. fans' minds, we just figured y'all are just so close at this point. I don't know. It just it always felt like that. <laughs> no, you know, it, it got to be that way. Speak, speaking of Jerome and his duties, okay, I've asked this question a lot, practically to every artist that has a an onstage reputation, hmm. and the answer never satisfies me. <laughs> now, you're in a very specific situation because in your initial 
five year iteration, at least of the, of, the, of the first draft of your your period with the time, you guys have basically worn the same outfit every time I've seen you. And the thing that that is that is baffling to me, and I've seen your I've seen these concerts, and you guys are dancing, moving, sweating, and whatnot. When the show is over, are you getting into street clothes? And how is your 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 Presley jacket and your outfits? How is it clean and ready for the next night show? Wow! Yeah, especially when you have to do six hours on the tour bus to the next city and da 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 da. da. Like, yeah. I just never understood how one outfit could sustain. Like that's your everyday outfit. Well, that yeah, that um, that that Presley, uh, as I called it, uh, it it kind of it was you know it was like a uh, is it Linus you know the security blanket man you know yeah. I I don't even know the dry cleaner back then because show show and then my Stacy's my black and white Stacy's when I say about to walk a hole in my Stacy Adams I looked up and you know Stacy Adams have some thick soles on them right I had actually walked a hole in my <laughs> Stacey Adams. there was a hole in one of them. And so, you know, <laughs> that's just that's just what it was, man. And 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 the and the, the Presley, I, the, I wore a thing until it, it it fell. It basically fell off of me. And after it did, you know, we looked up and I said, okay, we're doing well now. So then we, I start, I started getting custom clothes made from that point on. But you know, that got me through my first at least tour and maybe first two tours. Um, and you, you're right. It probably I was scared to dry clean it because it it would have fell apart a lot sooner. Where is that original Presley jacket now? I don't know. It's in it's it's, it's, it's in uh, it's in uh, stage clothes heaven right now. You know, you're serious? <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I have no idea. It, it it literally fell apart. I looked up one day after I came off stage and it was hanging off of me, and uh, that was a sad day for me. Oh, Morris. <laughs> yeah. You that should be find in the that museum. jacket, man. Yeah, yeah that right. should be. Listen, I'm literally in Nashville at the Black Music Museum. That should be in there, right? Yeah. Jesus. Oh, that's right. That is opening tomorrow, right? Yeah. This week. Damn. I'm sorry. I can't make it. Um. <laughs> wow. That's that's crazy. Um, he was invited. <laughs> he's always invited. So no, the 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 movie premieres. So okay. At what point are you taking Prince seriously when he's saying? All right, we're going to do a movie. And wait, before I even answer that question, do you have any information whatsoever about the quote unquote the second coming movie? Or at least, you know, some some clips have finally wound up online of, you know, whatever idea he was flirting with with doing before that morphed into Purple Rain. Like, were you guys going to be a part of that presentation as well? Or was that just him at the time? Yeah, it must have been just him because, you know, all I know is, uh, you know, he came to me, you know, one day, it's like, uh, you know, Morris, we're going to do a movie. And I was like, uh, okay, you know, whatever. And then, you know, next thing I know, we're doing dance classes, we're doing uh, acting classes and uh, all of this going on. And I'm still not really taking it serious because I've never been involved in anything like that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm taking it all with a grain of salt. But the next thing I know that these directors and cinematographers and producers are starting to come to town i was like okay we're serious now and um next thing i know we're in production so i think at that point i started to take it serious 
Okay, so then by that point, it's like, okay, we're really yeah. doing this. Yeah, it's real now, yeah. Okay, so I, okay, I, I just got to ask, at what point, I assume that you always knew that, that Jimmy and Terry got snowed in Atlanta, correct? Absolutely. Okay, it, and at this point, it's it's Jamie Shoup that's sort of you guys' tour manager or your wrangler, if you will? Uh, pretty much, Okay, so at the point where they're like, we can't get a flight out, what's what's happening on your side of the the fence? It's just the the four of you, no bass, no keyboard player. So, at what point do you realize that you're about to do a timeless show? Like, are you guys trying to keep this from Prince's camp until the very last minute? Like, at what point do you have to break down to him and say uh, they aren't going to make the show? Um. I think that Prince was, he was in on it. You know, he knew uh, more details than I did about it. Because like I said, you know, we were on tour, you know, and um, he was there with us and he knew that they weren't going to make the show. And he was pissed about it because he didn't want any of us producing or writing for anybody else or doing anything that wasn't related to the time. He suspected that they were producing. He knew that for a fact, or did he just think like, oh, y'all fucking around with girls or something? Now he he just knew that they were snowed in uh in Atlanta. Right. And um so guess what? He ended up with um on off to the side of the stage playing bass with the keyboard in front of him. So he actually played those instruments that night and we put Jerome over where Terry would have been. Uh so we had uh three people in front, Jesse, uh me and Jerome. And we just did the show like that with Prince playing bass off to the side of the show. And you put a hat on Jerome and the audience wasn't any of the wiser? No, we didn't put a hat on him. We just let, let him be Jerome, uh, you know, standing in that spot. But, you know, they heard the bass uh, going just like normal. So it was all good. Now, uh, you know, these stadiums aren't totally 100% like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that somebody from some angle had to see Prince on the side playing. Like, is he hiding behind a curtain or how's he seeing? Yeah. How's he seeing the cues or like, where's he standing as this is happening? He didn't need to see the cues. He knew the show 100%. (laughs) (laughs) He knew the show better than we did. (laughs) Did did it feel just a little bit better when he was playing bass? Oh yeah. Well, it felt good. You know, we didn't miss a beat, man. It was, you know, it was, it was awesome. Who played keyboards? He did. Tandem at the same time? We had bass and keyboard. So, you know, when the bass was uh, more necessary, he played that. And when the keyboard was uh, necessary, he played that. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) I see. So when the axe is supposed to come down, are you two talking first? Or is he just going into executive order action without even consulting with his Senate and his house first? Like, what should we do? executive order brother we're in the studio um i want to say sunset sound um uh, you know and um he had them come in and i didn't know we were in there cutting um we had cut ice cream castles that day you know i did my vocals and um we were uh, just putting some finishing touches on and um you know terry and jimmy come in and i didn't know i was glad to see him you know and um Right at that moment, he told him, he said, you know, you guys are fired from the band. You know, you uh, you went to Atlanta, you missed a show and, you know, you're fired. And that, you know, that hit me like a ton of bricks because my band was my band. You know, we were all brothers. 
you know, uh, we had love for each other. And um, I was always one, I, you know, I was always one of those kind of guys that, uh, you know, if Dave Garibaldi left Tower Power or, you know, whoever, right. you know, if, if they lost an original member, then the band didn't feel the same to me. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I never wanted to be one of those bands. And, and it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks that all of a sudden we're one of those bands, you know, where, where, uh, what was his name? He used to sing, um, lead and Sammy Hager came in. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Van Halen. Van Halen. You right. know, it's just, you can't change members. Like it's just not the same. So, you know, that, that, that just hit me like a ton of bricks, man. And just no, you were, yeah, nothing, you just yeah, had to roll with it. And yeah, yeah. And I had to roll with it. And all of a sudden here comes these new members and I'm looking back and, and that's the moment really where it really hit me where it's, you know, it's really time for me to start to think about uh, going and doing my own thing. So was he, it's so weird because I, I, I would imagine that, I don't know. I, I never pegged him as being super confrontational because he's so, his image wise, it was so elusive or mysterious that I can't, you know, I have, I've probably had to fire, you know, maybe five people in my entire career and man i'd be losing sleep over that shit at night call my therapist (laughs) like man how i do right letting people slide all right all right man just don't let it happen again please right right. but like he was confrontational like that like just yeah yeah Yeah. cut just point blank just said whatever's on his mind just and 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 a lot of times not, not really much emotion behind it just how you would think of him to talk you know you're fired you know, you guys missed the show. It's not your priority. You know, and that and that's it. You know, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily. He, he wasn't afraid of 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 confrontational act. You know, because again, it's like I I want to make sure I'm covering my ass because like, I mean, not for nothing, but you also dealing with brothers and shit, right? You know, so it could have went another way. Like, motherfucker, you had something for the <laughs> fuck you, and then yeah, well, you know, he always kept you know uh, you know. A uh, big three hundred pound, you know. Oh, I forgot about chick. Enforcer <laughs> off to the side, you know. He got to the point where he just kept security with him. So, you know. Well, are I you think- allowed? Are you allowed to answer back? Are you allowed to say oh, that song was whack? Or, you oh, know, yeah. like, are you allowed to make fun of him? You know, I always spoke my mind, you know, with him, you know, and and that was that was both good and bad for us. But you know, I always told him if he played something for me that I liked. You know, uh, you know, I would say it, but I wouldn't lie to him, you know, just like when he played. Uh, and this is in the book, you know, but right. um, ah. when, when he played When Doves Cry for me, you know, I'm listening to the song and, you know, we're we're three three quarters of the way through the song and I ain't heard a bass yet. You know, right. So I'm like, I'm like, uh, I said, there ain't no bass in the song, man. And and uh it's like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I said, man, I got out the car. I said, man, next time you play something for me, make sure it's funky and make sure it has some bass in it. And I kind of slammed the door. <laughs> and, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that one, that one kind of came back to bite me on the ass because mm-hmm. it ended up being a number one smash for him. <laughs> right. But when I first heard it, I wasn't feeling it. And I and I expressed that to him. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, it's so weird because all of you guys are are characters, and the thing is, is that you know there's there's a side of himself that he expresses, especially with sexuality, 
that um yes it 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 works spot on and it's bullseye but it's also like you know is he going to you guys to like look i created a new song called do me baby it's eight minutes long and it's going to be a little awkward but listen to it like is it weird where he's playing you guys like some of his weirder shit where it's sort of like okay where are you going with this prince or does he just like only give you the funk shit like okay this is called 1999 or this is you know like i'm did he ever get was it ever an awkward thing when he's showcasing a song that uh kind of crosses lines or boundaries you like today there's no line that can't be crossed like i you know make the stallion can release some shit and it'd be like okay yeah she's talking about her wet ass pussy but You know, back in the day, like someone says, I sincerely want to fuck the taste out of your mouth. Like, yeah, that's like yeah. you never heard that shit before unless it's a blowfly record. So, right, right. Like, is no, it awkward in front of you guys where like you're hearing your boss have your five foot three boss have like orgasms on records and shit? <laughs> yeah. Talking, talking in an English accent. Yeah, right, right, right. No, I, you know, he, he used to, especially me, you know, he would corner me with a lot of stuff, you know, because. That's just how we were back in the day. We hung out, um, you know, we cut, you know, uh, all the time. Like I said, I played a lot on, on a lot of his songs. And, you know, obviously he played on just about every time song until um, maybe after Ice Cream Castles, when we did Pandemonium, then, you know, he started to kind of slack off. But um, he would always play me stuff because I would always be there in the studio. So he's always, play- and, you know, I understood his avant-garde-ness, his, his, weirdness and 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 he just wanted to be different and you know that was his thing and that's that's really what got him you know in trouble at the um rolling stones concert because he wanted to switch from i want to be your lover you know and 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 all of a sudden he's you know running around half naked you know playing new wave songs and Mm -hmm. you know he could have i think you know he could have rose a lot quicker and he took a dive, you know, um, in his popularity and sales for that um, Dirty Mind record. But it took him in a direction that, you know, uh, actually led to where he ended up being. So right. he was des- definitely a risk taker. And he played me a lot of stuff. And I just kind of understood, you know, his thought process, you know, and some of the stuff I liked, some of it I didn't. Is there a song of his that you wish you guys had for yourselves? Uh well, okay, I know that International Lover was supposed to be for you. Ooh. Yeah. yeah um yeah. At, at any point did you actually cut your own version of it? Yeah, I did. Oh. Where can we You can't nah. <laughs> unless you can get in the vault, you know, you you can. But I I I sang that song. I sang I sang it first. Okay. And then um I just think he's decided that he liked it, you know, more than he thought. And and then, you know, next thing I know, I, uh, he came back to me. He's like, I don't like, I don't like your vocals. I don't like what you did. He said, you know, and I said, okay. So then next thing, he's, you know, he's like, well, I did it for myself, you know? So I listened to it and I was like, well, that's great. You know, you wrote it. So, but he did the same thing with seven, 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 nine, three, eleven. you know, I'm up, you know, he said, uh, you know, I got some stuff to do. I'll leave. You sing the song. I'll come back. I did the vocals. He came back from wherever he was and he's like, I don't like it. 
you know, you know, he said, I hate how you sound on it, blah, blah, blah. I said, uh, okay, cool. So I go back to the hotel about nine, 10 o'clock the next morning. He's calling me, you know, meet me downstairs in the car. We get in a limo. He's like, I love this, man. I love the way your voice. Sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so he, like, he, he like, wasn't, he wasn't cutting your vocals half the time. No, I, I, you know, I got to the point where I would do, you know, I, I cut the vocals myself. Was it? Un yeah. I was going to say, is it cutting vocals is such an intimate experience. Yeah. Uh, were like were you like were you uncomfortable if he's sitting there like micromanaging your vocals or it's just like all right I'll leave and come back and no I was very comfortable with him because um you know he's he's such you know such a great producer you know and he knew how to get the best out of me and that's how he taught me and so you know then he just got to the point where he's like hey, I'm leaving you handle it and so you know like I said he count he comes back some hours later I'm done I'm chilling you know, he's like, you know, tells the engineer, let me hear it, you know, and he's like, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever, man. I'm like, okay, I'm <laughs> done, man. You know, I got to go to the hotel and, you know, get some rest. And I, like I said, the next day he comes back, he loves, he keeps playing it. He I love how your voice sounds here and all that. I was like, okay, dude, whatever, man. Oh, okay. Can I just ask, how was, what was your, what was your approach on International Lover? What was the, the big difference to you in the way y'all approached it? It was just, you know, if you listen, you know, his voice is different. You know, he's a lot better singer than I am as far as that goes, you know. Um, so, you know, he just, I kind of did it in more of a raw fashion, you know, uh, if you can imagine the way I do stuff. And then, you know, he came back and he put all of the the print screams and all that stuff on it, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is your version of International Lover with a monologue at the end that's a little <laughs> different than... No, no, I didn't. I hadn't gotten to the monologue part, but I just did the vocal part. But mine was a lot cooler. I'll say that. <laughs> is, it, is, is it harder for you to do ballads than the fast stuff? Because like a song like "Old oh Baby," where you really gotta, you know, you 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 have to put in work to to nail the ad libs and to really give off a a performance. Like, is it are ballads more challenging for you than the faster songs? Yeah, well, you know, it was it was, you know, it was somewhat challenging, but you know, um it it you know, the 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 up tempo songs were were difficult too because uh back then, you know, Prince was um uh, at the board guiding me through the vocals. He was very very difficult because, you know, he wanted he wanted the attitude to, to be at a certain level and the timbre, you know, so he's really what, you know, uh, he's the one who really helped me make jungle of sound the way it sounded, you know, and all those songs, you know, he helped me get that, that attitude uh, on the vocals, the way it needed to be there. And that, you know, that, that, you know, that took some work, you know, getting it right. You know, why was the original version of the bird, the the studio version? Why was that scrapped? Well, I mean, yeah, of course. Heard yeah. I, I heard my, I heard my question as I asked it and I was like, duh, the live album was better, but yeah. the studio version kind of kicks ass. Too. Man, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. I love the studio version. As a matter of fact, I was kind of pissed, you know, when uh, he said we're gonna do it live, you know, and I, I grew to love the live version, but there was just something about that studio version that was really funky, man, you know, and, and um, it, it, it was more, it was a funkier version, but the, stu the, the live version was just a more upbeat, fun version. Right, I see. So speaking of the live version, 
So I actually have the video um, of your, quote, last performance with the time at First Avenue. Uh, when you're cutting Jungle Love and the Bird and, you know, I guess before the, the movie gets shot. And there, there's that whole monologue bit with uh, the, the, the passing of the hat. You're, you're Morrison preacher mode. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. I'm talking in, in, in inside baseball purple speak. And f- as far as you're concerned, you're like, I did this 40 years ago. I don't, I don't remember what you're talking about. But the whole like, you know, Prince charging 25 bucks. You took, did you give that whole thing? Do you remember this night at, at all? Yeah. And um, was was that part of the act then? Or like, it, it actually, you sounded damn serious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we had kind of put that together, you know, just for that night. It wasn't, it wasn't a regular part of what we did. And um, to, to be honest, that, segment where we did Jungle Love and the Bird was actually, we were finishing, we were pretty much done with um, filming in Minneapolis. Okay. We actually resumed in California. So we did pickup shots in LA, uh, but we were done. And because the story goes that I went off stage from doing those songs and nobody saw me again in Minneapolis. You know, I moved to Cali from there and Never went back. Oh, see, the thing I was confused about was because I thought that show was the show that was recorded so that you can do those songs in Purple Rain, the movie. It was. Right. So eventually you had to shoot the movie. That We were done shooting the movie. Oh, okay. I get it now. I yeah. get it. I see. Yeah, but yeah, that was, what was his response to that? And in your mind, like that, that was, I don't feel like that was comedy. I feel like you were actually saying that. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was definitely, um, I mean, we, we were making it sound serious, but it was definitely comedy. And he definitely had a lot to do with that segment of what we did that night. You know, at that point he was still hands on with everything that the time did. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh. You got burned. Next caller. 
I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus. Hmm. How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. I, I can't just glass over Purple Rain. One thing I always wanted to know was how many takes did it take you to do the what's the password scene? Because that that was damn near impressive. As someone that had to study who's on first, you guys executed that awesomely, and that was one of the you know the your acting in Purple Rain is you know was a highlight that definitely Hell aided yeah. in the film. Hey, I appreciate that. I actually think we, me and Jerome nailed that in like two takes. I, I think we nailed it on the first take, which was pretty crazy. And then we did a, a second one just for, you know, for, for, they call it posterity or whatever. But right. yeah, we, we nailed it, you know. Wow. Okay. I, I would, mm. okay. That, that's impressive. That's damn near impressive. Having, having recently just seen the first draft of Purple Rain when it was called Dreams, Way darker and way, you know, at the time when you receive dreams, did you guys receive dreams before it was redone into Purple Rain? When I when I saw Purple Rain, it was Purple Rain. I never saw dreams. Oh, so Amir, you got to tell us. What, what, what was it different? Well, I mean, d- d- just dreams was purple. Like, it was just darker. It, I mean, Purple Rain was definitely the better script, but... And dreams, you know, the, it it ends at the father's suicide. I think oh. Prince commits suicide. Oh, um, the one scene that was really disturbing, the one really <laughs> Why disturbing are you scene. Because <laughs> <laughs> Prince is dramatic. Everybody died in dreams. <laughs> right, exactly. But the, like one of the most disturbing scenes in dreams was, so the scene where you know Prince and Apollonia are finally about to have their night together, getting it on. There was a there was a comedy component to it where Morris and Jerome followed Apollonia to Prince's house and like are spying on her, oh. like through the window, like it's, it's yeah it's 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 crazy oh. shit. Uh, oh. You know, twenty twenty one. A lot more <laughs> happened with the the trash can scene and like it was definitely more. That film would have been like the straight out of Compton of movies, you know. 
Damn. Now, I it, never even saw that script. I ain't gonna lie. Oh boy. Yeah. It <laughs> it was a doozy. It was a doozy. How hard was it for you really to walk away from that moment right when it was on the crest of what what I assume that you were working for up to that point where you become just as equally on on a, an A star level as Prince. Well, it was it was just the more successful you know Prince became, mm-hmm. the more difficult it became to be around him. And okay. um, you know, I saw that when he fired Jimmy and Terry. I saw that you know he wasn't loosening his grip when I I I said. Time and time again, you know, I'm, I'm an artist. I write. I write every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how the whole deal came about in the first place. And then, you know, uh, he he wouldn't take my song serious. I told um, him, I told Cavallo, Ruffalo, Farnoli that I needed to do a solo album. I said, I'm good with being, you know, in the camp, but I need to do a solo album. And um, he... He just wouldn't let any of that happen. So, you know, I just kind of said, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm going to have to walk. If, if I'm going to do anything other than what Prince wants me to do in my life, whether, you know, whether it's, it's great or whether it's not so great, I'm going to have to walk because it's not going to happen here. You know, um, I told them straight out, I need to do my own album that I write and produce. And then they came back to me and said, yeah, Prince said you could do that as long as he's the executive producer. Well, mm. we all knew what that meant. So yeah. you know, at that point, I just made the decision that I'm going to do my own thing. So at that point, did you already have, you know, the character or Don't Wait For Me or, or Love Sign or The Oak Tree, like the songs yeah. that wound up I, on Color of Success? Yeah. Now, I had a lot did of you songs. already have those in pocket? Like, when did you start writing those songs? Yeah, I... I I had a lot of songs at that point. So at that point, it was just me picking the ones that I was going to use, you know, because like I said, I'd been writing all along and, um, you know, just wasn't able to use any of my songs. So, you know, I was busting at the seams with songs. So, uh, you know, it was just a matter of me. And I wrote, you know, one or two after the fact, but I had a lot of them already just done, you know. I see. How weird was it? on day one where you are now in control of your own starship where you now have to answer to yourself. You now have to sign the checks. You now have to hire the band, uh, the two ladies that are uh, singing side by side with you. Like now that you're really calling the shots, like how odd was that, that now you had to be in that position? Well, you know, it was odd, but uh, then, you know, with the same token, it was almost like I had been in training for that the whole time that I had been with the time because, you know, I learned how to put a show together. You know, I learned all the ins and outs and the production. And, you know, uh, like I said, you know, by, by, by the end of, you know, the whole run with Prince, you know, I was doing my own, own vocals in the studio. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I kind of, you know, I kind of just, I think I had, you know, some, some, some uh, high class training, you know, so, you know, I, I kind of knew what to do at that point. Okay. 
Um, on the other hand, with your acting career, because I know that, you know, there was there was high expectations for you to become like this next big comedy star. And of course, um, yeah. a lot of the early reviews of Purple Rain actually had you pegged. And I felt it, too, that, you know, you could have actually fulfilled the cinematic promise that Richard Pryor should have filled, but didn't wasn't able to. Wow. So what was it like acting with him and moving? Yeah, it was it was, um, you know, it, it was a it was a double edged situation, you know, because even though I, I did well acting, I didn't feel like I was an actor and I didn't like, you know, I kind of hate to say this, but I didn't like acting so much. Oh. <laughs> That's OK. OK, so by this point in 85, 86, now that you're at the height of of dayness, like how exhausting is it now? Now you have to wear suits. Now you have to, your hair has to be primped and prepped and da 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 da. And I'm sure everybody, whatever your version of I'm Rick James bitches, like, like is everyone running up to you saying yes and all these things? Yeah, you know that that part. Um, you know there was there was a point where you know I, you couldn't turn on the radio. Uh, pop or urban or whatever without hearing jungle over the bird and you know people just you know they had their expectations you know because i i tend to get into my laid backness you know and uh and and everybody expects you know more to walk in the room doing the bird you know sliding in and right and you know <laughs> you know but i mean you know it's all good you know because that's what i signed up for but that's definitely the expectation uh that that, that people had and still have to have, you know? But wait, let me ask you though, because I just I had to remember this. I had to look this up. Did you feel like that before, or after you did New Attitude? Well, you know, I New, Attitude. About New Attitude with Jackie, right? With uh, Shirley <laughs> Ralph, right? Was yeah, it was Shirley, wasn't Yvonne Jackie a man as well? No, she she it was the, the hair thing, right? The beauty yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember in Jet Magazine. Okay, I remember that. Yeah. I was still in, I was kind of still in the mode of acting, you know, at that point. Okay. But then, um, you know, I, you know, you know, it, it just, it kind of got to be where with my music, you know, I, I kind of call the shots, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I'm not a workaholic by anybody's standards, but, you know, um, I, I just kind of like to be able to go when I want to and to be the boss and, you know, acting, Somebody else is telling you, be here at this time, be dressed, hurry up and wait. And uh, how long you have to stay at work and when you could go home. And, it's like Prince you know. all over again. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, I would probably still do it again, but I don't know that I could just be a full-time actor. That's all. Okay, I'm afraid of this answer because if you don't know where your Presley jacket is, then I definitely know you don't know about this. <laughs> do you have a copy of the pilot that you and Jerome shot for ABC back in, was it 86, 87, I believe? Yeah, I think it was. I heard that. a rumor that you guys did a, like a, a detective yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I think it was Fox. It was called Hotel Dicks. Wait, what? Hotel what now? Hotel Dicks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Y'all was detectives? Yes, we were detectives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you worked at what was the what was the uh, the what was the plot what was the the plot of the the, the series? The, the premise pretty much was um, 
you know, we were like the over overzealous, like Barney Rubble, you know, uh, detectives, Fred. you know, uh, spying on people, you know, sending like little um, remote control cars with cameras through the uh, air conditioning vents to spy on rooms and, you know, kind of make sure everything was good in the hotel, but but doing a, you know, way over the top job of it. So you guys were like head of a security force inside of a hotel and yeah, yeah. kind of smart. I haven't seen that show yet. Hotel dicks. Okay. Hotel dicks. <laughs> Do you have a copy of this pilot? I might have it because, you know, I have a, <sighs> I have a, a, a boxes full of, of VCR tapes, you know, that uh, or VHS tapes. Right. That I have no idea what's on, you know, then they probably dried out and brittle and don't work anymore, but I have boxes of them. Before I leave this earth, I'm watching it. <laughs> Before I leave this earth, I'm yeah. watching it. Yeah. Um. In 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 making your follow up uh album, uh Daydreaming, getting back with the Jimmy and Terry, you know. A lot of a, a lot of your fans were trying to will this time reunion way before 1990. Um, at what point was it sort of like okay, let's let's test the waters and see if we could do this again? Well, we're we're always just a phone call away from from that kind of thing, you know. Um, Jimmy and Terry and uh, we we keep up with each other, and um, you know Jimmy's always you know like hey you know he was his affiliation with Naris, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which puts on the Grammys, you know, he's always, you know, um, using our name or putting our name out there. And, and a lot of times they bite. So, you know, uh, when, when he calls and says, Hey, let's do this. You know, I'm always down to do something with the original members. It's always a treat. Okay. I see this. I was specifically talking about the, the fishnet period. Even before oh, y'all, oh that, oh yeah, reunited. Well, that, yes, <laughs> yeah, that, that too. You know, uh, um, you know, it's it, because Jimmy and Terry, you know, uh, produced Fishnet for me, and um, you know, so you know, we just thought it would be a great idea to do the video together. First of all, did you expect them to be as red hot as they became? I wasn't surprised because, um, you know, if you recall earlier when I said. Um, I had heard, you know, when, you know, prior to them being in to me, bringing in them into the time, you know, I had heard some songs that they had produced on Cynthia Johnson, you know, mm -hmm. who ended up singing Funky Town, which was a world, big world hit. But I'd heard their work and I told Prince, I said, these guys are they're talented, man. I heard the production work and I said, you know, they really got something special going. And uh, so then once they got in the band, we would always get together, man. We had these little... Uh, Casio, I don't know if you remember these Casio pianos, and they they came in these little plastic cases, and you hold the hand, open them up, and we would get together and fire up the four track on the road and put together some real fire tracks. So you know, I I knew that they had it in them. I can't say that I knew that they were going to blow up the way they did, but I definitely knew that they had something special as as writers and producers. Was there ever consideration? to even let them do an entire album on you? Or was it more like, okay, well, I just fought to get out of the swamp. Like, why would I take a step back and take direction from someone else? Well, no, I mean, I, I would have considered that in a heartbeat, but, you know, I, I had already done most of the... Um, um, Daydreaming. Daydreaming album, 
you know, when, um, you know, uh, the, the idea came up that maybe they should do a couple of tracks. You know, I was pretty much, you know, knee deep into the project at that point. Uh, but, you know, if, if it presented itself earlier, uh, I would have done more songs with them for sure. Okay. I, yeah. I don't know the exact, I don't know the reason why. Okay. I, I, I understand that Graffiti Bridge was a flop. So that said, however, uh, the reception and the reviews of Pandemonium uh, was definitely one of the bright spots of 1990. How come you guys didn't do a full scale tour? Was it at that point you guys were an all star team and oh, it was yeah. just like nobody could take the time off to. Yeah, at that point, you know, um, definitely Terry and Jimmy's schedule was was you know right. was through the roof. They were they were producing a little bit of everybody, and um, you know, so and we all had you know uh, our our thing that we were doing. So it was just too difficult at that point, and it probably would have been way too expensive, especially for Terry and Jimmy to take that kind of time to go out and tour. I see. So, and we're going to wrap this up soon because I'll be here 12 hours asking you about like... Did you know about the Jimmy interview, Morris? <laughs> Have you heard? Yeah. Hey, hey, it's I, all know, in the I, book. I, I know it's in the book. No, I know I know Jimmy Jam's a talker, though. You know, he'll, he'll, his, he'll... his episode was six hours and 40 minutes. So That was like the longest day of my life. Like, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was the like, greatest day of my life. Awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. It was just like the longest day Some, ever. Somebody more nerdier than me answering questions? Awesome. Yeah. About himself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Jimmy's damn good at this thing, man. So, you know. Yeah. So are you. We're not trying to reproduce a Jimmy Jam. No, 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 oh, no. man. Oh, we, we older gonna, now. That was a couple years ago. Yeah, we're, we're going to let you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 50 now. I can't handle it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think a couple years ago, I saw a clip of your son singing. I didn't know that your son was even a singer or whatever. And that's so amazing. Like, how is that to see your kids like sort of follow want to follow in that path and you know as a parent do you feel like the need to to have cautionary like is there kind of concern or fear of like oh making sure that he doesn't fall down the same path that i fell down or whatever like what advice do you give your kids yeah when they want to pursue singing well you know i it, it's always been a requirement in my household you know that 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 they pick up an instrument Oh. <laughs> oh, you are Joe Jackson. I get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I'll say this, you know, um, a few mm. of them have stuck with it. Uh, like my son, Darren, that you're talking about, who is right. an incredible singer. Um, and not I, I don't too bad on kids... the eyes, ladies. Just I Google don't... it. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, he, he's a chip off the old block. I mean, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I, 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 I actually don't know how many kids you have, Mars. So yeah. how Six. many? Oh, wow. Okay, word. Okay. My boys, one girl. And they're all musically inclined? No. Um, I have three that actually care about music um, still, and they're really good. Um, right. And But, um, you know, my older kids, that they know when they got 12, 14 years old, they say, hey, Dad, I don't want to. I don't want to play the piano anymore. I don't want to do it. I was like, hey, that's fine. You know, down. you know, yeah, you know, and, and I'm good with that. But, you know, I just wanted to give them. The, you know, that opportunity to, you know, to, and, and then they say that it helps stimulate the brain, you know, for math and stuff like that. So I just want to keep them engaged. It does. Um, it's, it's not, you know, when, when they're old enough to make that decision, then by all means, they, 
they made that decision. And, um, and they could never say you didn't try. Unlike my daddy, who's a drummer, who never taught me how to play the drums. But I digress. <laughs> there you go. Whoa. It, no, it, 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 it helps it, with creativity, though. I, yeah. 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 It helps with creativity. Yeah. And it gives something else to do besides getting Trump. That part. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Morris, speaking speaking of your book, um, I really have to commend you um, on the creative way that you um, structured it where, you know, the voice of what's in your head as Prince's voice and how it never leaves you is in the book. I sort of the same structure with Mo Meta where Richard is talking to me before he died. It's sort of structured the same way where Prince kind of has his version of the story and and Mars sort of has a conversation. So that's sort of like each chapter is peppered with sort of conversations between them. Yeah, I got to say, how how hard was it or just how therapeutic was it for you to finally get your story out? It was it was both of those. It was hard to do and it was therapeutic at the end of the day because um, to actually sit, you know, with with um, David Ritz and um, the great David Ritz. Yes, the great we, David Ritz. And got to um, get him know, on the show one day. Yeah, uh, he would love it. But, um, you know, and to go back down some of those dark corridors um, was very difficult, you know, um, and and it kind of resurfaced a lot of, of, of feelings that I had buried, you know, um, and and so, you know, it brought a lot to the surface. And at the end of the day, you know, it was like a breath of fresh air once we got through it and um, saw how it translated onto the pages. And, uh, you know, it just ended up being a, a good thing. You know, that was the um, ultimate uh, therapy session. <laughs> I can tell. Is there a soundscape with this audio book? I'm, I, now I want to go back and listen to the audio book. I'm like, is it is it you on the audio no, I shouldn't have done it, but it, I, I was going to say, man, what what happened? What I happened? still need you. No, with with David Rich Productions, yeah, things can be done over again. Look okay. at the Rick James book. Look at I, I, I would appreciate it if you actually redid the audio to it. Soundscape, I, full soundscape. Right? I feel like you, you, you. I mean, your guy, your guy did it good, you know, and yeah. it helped. Because, you know, I, whatever, when I take my morning walk or whatever, usually yeah. I listen to audiobooks or drive places. It was cool, but yeah, I, I feel like it needs your voice. And I agree. I agree with that. Hell yeah. yeah. It needs yeah. your voice. I know that at least for the era of the 80s, that mystery was a key component. Like you shouldn't know too much to keep them engaged, but, you know, to see what was under the hood, man. And it's like, You've been through the fire, man, and I I gotta say that that you know, I I really enjoyed the you sharing your truth like that, um, you know, in the story. Yeah, um, appreciate. It. Yes. Okay. I'm I am going to wrap up, but I wanted to save one last frothy story <laughs> for the end. This is the encore. Okay. And you guys can be very happy that this is the last time I'm going to ask this question. This is the most, besides the Latin, Latin quarter. Latin quarter? No, it's I not like, the Latin quarter story. No, besides the Latin quarter, this is the most asked question on Quest Love Supreme to anyone that's ever been in the Purple Army. 
Okay, I don't know what this is. Morris, can you please give me your account <laughs> of the Cincinnati Fall Down Food Fight Show? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, this ask everybody. We this. got this one. So here's here's the deal. Speaking of the, of the Huntsbury family, due to crazy negotiations, I was able to secure and get that performance on tape. So of course I don't I don't know what's happening backstage. Right. But I at least see the point where Chick grabs Jesse. Yeah. And I guess you guys went guitarless for a second, whatever. Yeah. Can you please explain in fireside chat way, whatever, of the food fight in Cincinnati? Yeah, of course I can. Uh, you know, it's in the book, though. <laughs> the book, On Time, A Princely Life and Funk. Yes, um, we will We will rigorously promote like this day. book. Yes. You know, I got to do it. You know, I got to do it. But anyway, so we're in Cincinnati. We're on stage. And, um, you know, this the, the prince that everybody thinks they know, the serious-minded, you know, straight talk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Stoic. You know, yeah, right. he, he decides... He's going to fuck with our show and him and his band are going to start throwing eggs at us while we're, you know, performing. That's fucked up. Yeah, that's real fucked up. Especially with but, your uh, hairstyle. Okay, well, let, you want- let me ask you, though, is so there, there was never a playful high school kind of nature between the two bands or, you know, playing the like dozens that. and then. Not like that, you know. Um, you know, because his 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 crew were kind of straight lace, you know, um, you know, just kind of boring people. You know, with, with my crew, you know, we were, you know, we was all cool, you know, had a little, you know, pimp vibe to us. And, you know, you know, for instance, anytime the time had a party, everybody would be there. We would always be at the little cheap hotel. And if we were at a, the same hotel as him, we had the little low cheap on the low cheap floor. He'd be upstairs in the. Sweets and all of that, right? But everybody would be at our parties, so you know that's that's just the vibe that we had. So it wasn't that kind of party with us. We didn't interact with this band like that. You know, you talking Matt Fink and uh, right, uh, Bobby Z and all that. I mean, Des Dickerson. These are all like, you know, I, I don't even know, but they're just, they weren't they just wasn't cool like us. Okay, wait, 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 wait. okay, I, I got to briefly interrupt. So since you since you kind of opened the door, I got to ask, and I never ask yeah. this of artists or whatever because it's their yeah. personal thing. But just in that environment, was it everything we ever thought it was in terms of whatever hedonistic party atmosphere that we imagined that any figure from the 80s was living at that point? It was pretty crazy. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, give it the hedonistic stamp but you know it was you know we 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 partied hard you know i mean you come in you know the, you you couldn't tell where the bed was where the floor was folks would be dancing on the bed the floor people had the lampshades on their head and the music going and you know it was just kind of that kind of vibe you know free so, social media the good life yeah right. you know, free social media exactly. well i mean like coming to america was like white bros like yeah and the <laughs> Other things that go along with that. Anyway, it's clean. So go ahead, it's clean. It's clean. Yeah. You know, right. you know, you know. I get it. The sun always goes down, you know, but uh, the, the the lights went low, but 
just while the party was going, you know, it was, you know, we just had some good, clean fun party and having a great time. And it was so, it was to the point where Prince would start coming down. He'd come down with Chick, you know, or whoever his bodyguard was, have him bring, because he's like, what's going on down there? You know, he wanted to know. Was it like dad coming to ruin the party or is it like, he's cool? Hey, no, nobody skipped the beach. You know, they they see him show up and, you know, uh, people were so happy to be at our parties that, you know, they wouldn't, acknowledge him as much as you thought they would because Good. everybody would just be having a great time, you know, and you kind of show up with a bodyguard. It was kind of a buzz kill to begin with, right. you know, but, you know, so that, that, that was the deal with that. But, you know, so we didn't interact with his band. So it wasn't that kind of fun environment between the two bands where it was a laugh when they started throwing eggs at us on stage. You know, I'm like, you know, what's 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 happening here? I'm seeing eggs flying and hitting some of my band members and splatting on the stage and on the speakers and stuff. And I was like, you know, and then so I happened to look up. I'm trying to concentrate on doing, you know, the, my show. And I see, you know, Prince and his crew laughing down there, you know, and running and off to the side and throwing eggs at, him, at us. And I was like, what is this, you know? And so, so he's he's not worried about like being seen by the audience or none of these things. I yeah, I don't know what got into him that night. I'm gonna tell you that was a, that was a different. It was also the last night of the tour, so I'm certain that yeah, yeah, whatever resentment and whatever you know, any of those things that are happening. Yeah, it's like we're gonna throw water balloons at the bus, you know, on the last day, you know, when the kids are leaving or something. Right. So you know, and so then we come off stage and, you know, he's really laughing about the shit, you know, but in the same breath, he's saying, you guys better not bother me while I'm on stage. What? Oh, so he's basically asking you to bother him on stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we sent our guy, you know, and we told him to get us a, a box of glad bags, the green ones, the big, the big trash bags. And some and some a few dozen eggs. So we geared up, you know, just in case of some retaliation. And when he went on, sure enough, we was firing up the stage with eggs. He gets pissed. He has Chick, like you said, uh, Chick grabbed uh, Jesse, took him into the dressing room and handcuffed him oh, to God. a clothes rack. Those kind of clothes racks that they screw into the wall with the towel right. on them and all. Handcuffed him to that. And Jesse's going crazy. You know, he f- eventually ripped the uh, hell yeah the, the rack off the wall and came out swinging at people with it. <laughs> Whoa. Just, and it just went, it just went totally bizarre. Prince was pissed. His band was mad. They they was acting like they wanted to fight. And then so I ended up in a back room with Chick and Prince. And Prince is yelling at me all night. And I'm like, you started this shit. I said, you started throwing eggs at me and he's threatening to fire me from the production company. Huh? I'll never be on tour again. And blah blah. It was just went it it was it was a crazy night. That's Prince all ain't never been in no fight. I, that's what I could tell. I could hear yeah, <laughs> it was it was crazy. It, it got real deep. It went way before way beyond and then I ended up paying five G's. He made me pay for the cleanup at the what? venue. Yeah. Five thousand bucks? Uh, yeah. Maybe All right, I'm bringing up the calculator right now. So <laughs> inflation. Yeah, like, I'm going. I'm going 22 grand. The inflation calculator for uh, this fight happened grand. in what 1983. Yeah. So let's see, five thousand bucks. Twenty grand. 
Oh, Jesus Christ, man. That was $13,237.55 today. Damn. That's still a lot of money. That's a, no, that's a nice lot of money. Group. You know how many records I could buy with that shit? Yeah. <laughs> Three. So yeah. do you feel as though, even though, you know, the, the food fight's supposed to be an endearing thing amongst friends, but do you feel the underlying thing was maybe sort of resentment that you guys were getting better reviews or... Like your only revenge was to kick his ass on stage. Yeah, I, I think it was part of that, and I think you know, in, in in his own way, you know, like you said, that being the last night of that particular tour, you know, I think he was thinking he could kind of sabotage it. Mm. Uh, so we definitely wouldn't get better reviews on the last <laughs> night. You know, <laughs> hey, hey, brother Prince, forgive me now. You know, I'm. <laughs> you know, no, I feel you. I you feel know, you. but. You know, but but you know, it's it it was all you know, just a part. Like I said, when I when I would run into him, as much animosity as I could muster up for some of the shit that we went through together that that wasn't so cool, I was always happy to see him. You know, I was always happy to see him. Well, thank you uh, for sharing your story with us, yes, brother Day. Wait yes. a minute, Morris. Uh oh, you knew it couldn't. Wait, well, no, no, no. Why ain't over? Have you ever revealed what the E means in your name? Well, like I always say, the E is... It's in the book. The, the E is sometimes for Morris every day. <laughs> 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 you know, I, the E changes. It just depends on the mood and the moment, you know. Okay. I, d- I feel, like, that, I feel Morris, like that's the first personal... Day. <laughs> I feel like that's the first personal question I asked you. Like your your poli- your political uh, affiliation and what does the E stand for? More okay. entertaining day. <laughs> I see. Wait a minute, Morris. I can't. No, well, it would be disrespectful, dude. You you're working. You're working on. You got new material out now with Snoop. Yeah. There, oh. Yeah. I'm I'm so busy trying to get off the clock so he doesn't hang up on us. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> Can you uh, talk about uh, working now that you, now that you're in Snoop's camp? What 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 it's been like? You're in the camp. Uh, it's been real cool. You know, Snoop's a real gracious guy. Um, you know, he invited me to uh, come down to the. I went down really because I I wanted him to to get on a song that I had, and then he just said, "Hey, I want to do you know a bunch of stuff with you." So you know, we started cutting down there. So, you know, we ended up, you know, we, we have a lot of great stuff. I lot, a lot of stuff I cut with Snoop. You mm-hmm. know, uh, we got Snoop on our new project. We got Flo Rida on the new project. We got Trinidad James, you know, and um, the, yes. the list keeps growing. So, you know, we're just, we're having fun, you know, with some of the um, more seasoned members of the musical community these days. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> making some good music, brother. We got to get together on one, too. Yes. Actually, we can close on a really glorious note. Oh, wait, before you close, there's a reissue, too, right? Yes. The reissues of the of the the time record. And what time is it? And okay. Ice Cream Castles as well. Just the first two records. I think it's the first two. OK, we just haven't mentioned it. Time because that's what time is it? The reason he is here today. All right. Good stuff. Oh, is it? Yeah. I forgot. One of the one of the many. One of the, it's the reason that we got you today. You've done too and much. The book. Morris, no, we've been I'm, trying to get you for the last few years. So but this is how we finally, you know. Well, hey. I'm, I'm I'm actually pleased. I'm very happy to say that technically, the roots and the time have a song together oh. on the new Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis album. Oh, yes. Oh. I don't, 
I don't think you knew like that the musical backdrop you were singing to was a root song. It, that's how that's how much work I'm doing nowadays. I totally forgot that we we have a song together on the oh, really? you know Lewis. The name of it. Or? Yeah, the so Morris can go back and. <laughs> yes, it, no, it's by by the time this airs, it it'll be done. And I think I just let a serious cat out the bag, but I'm not certain. Not sure. We'll just no. find out later. Jim, 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 Jim won't. He hey. won't punish me for revealing this. <laughs> family. Anyway. Never win a Grammy again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see I, to I was going to say that uh, Jam actually just, yeah, he told me like day before yesterday. So oh, cool. uh, exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. That, yeah, exclusive. Beep, beep. That, yeah, both the Roots and the Time made the final cut of. Well, Morris was Jam talking about together at the same time when he did. Right, yes, of course. Now that now that the pandemic's over. Yeah. Allegedly. It, allegedly. We, now, Listen. now we can now we can be creative. Yes, I would love to do that. Yes, you're you're you're. As I said, man, you're you're one of my true heroes. Not just like a guy down with that other guy, but like you know, you're you're, you're kind of our you're our north star. And no, seriously, like a lot of black people got pulled into the sphere via you guys first, and then yes. catching up later. So, yes, yes, y'all was the black man. y'all was the blackness that that lured us in. Exactly. <laughs> I want to thank you for doing this. I've been, you know, I, I still deny that we've been on for five years, but. Yeah, it, this is this is definitely one of the dream interviews. Yo, um, can I just I, mention, by the way, people don't know this at home, but this is the first time we've ever done a Quest Love Supreme where we didn't see our guest. Mariah tried to do this, <laughs> and we was like, "Nah, sis, we got to see you." Morris Day, shit. Let's this, this, this is how much we loved you that we actually yes. did it blind. Yes. Oh yeah, I appreciate that. You know, my my my, I didn't get my hair did today. My lady, my hair lady wouldn't. Wasn't available, so you know. All good, <laughs> brother. As long as as long as you tell the story, that I'm fine with that. And you fine regardless, Morris. Don't nothing change. Man. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on behalf of Bill Sherman, Sugar Steve, I know I hugged all the questions. See, yeah, that's why I apologize at the beginning. You did a great job, Sugar Steve. Do you have you have any last words? Uh, no, I love you, Morris. Thank you. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Morris is great. All right. On behalf of the crew, Fontigolo, you were missed. I hope that was a great picnic. Uh, <laughs> Laia, <laughs> Bill, and Sugar Steve, the great Morris entertaining day. Entertaining. Yes. Every day. Electric. Every day. Yes. Electric. I like it. The E is ever changing. Hey. He might be one of the E's and E's. Evermore. So, <laughs> thank you very much. And this is Quest Love Supreme. We'll see you on the next go round, y'all. Thank you. All right now. Hey, this is Sugar Steve. Make sure you keep up with us on Instagram at QLS and let us know what you think and who should be next to sit down with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Much Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.